Thanks for tuning into this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. I'm your host, Matt Vivo. The show is produced by Ben Murray, and we have our new co-host, uh, Chase Martin, joining us on the intro and on today's episode. We talked to Chase's brother, Drew, his twin brother, who is a uh, nurse practitioner specialized in heart surgery. Yes, and uh, both of us, in classic twins fashion, followed each other into... Um into Fallujah, and then we came out and found different paths after our time in the service. And uh, we're lucky enough to <laughs> sit down with Drew, and it was uh, actually insightful for me. There was a moment where you said, uh, you were like, I never knew that about that. Uh, uh, I think it was when he went into the recruiter's office, and they like flipped it on him, and you said you, nev- you never knew that uh, they gave him an opportunity to be a real Marine. Yeah, I didn't know they were actually going to use that psychological tactic on him. Um, I had never heard that. I knew that they were going to send him home, but I had no idea about the um, the real Marine. Yeah, I had a few laugh, like literal laugh out loud episodes when I was uh, proof listening this. One of them was that you um, you were worried about not getting into the infantry. Yeah, I was definitely worried. I mean, I even talked about it with all my family. What would happen? What would be my contingencies if I couldn't get in the infantry? And I tried to think, well, if I'm a tank man, an artillery man, well, I even thought maybe I'd have to actually one day re-enlist to be in infantry. Uh, that's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I, uh, I, I did relate to, uh, I, I did relate to Drew a lot on, like it seemed like he obviously has a great career now and it's like obviously very you know uh intellectually demanding if you hear about all the stuff that he's doing um but you know in high school he just seemed like completely uninterested i totally related to that and i was having this conversation with some other um people who are younger uh, who I work with. And I was like, man, in my 20, I mean, forget when I was 18, but I didn't even want to go to college, but like in my twenties, early twenties, whatever, like I was not, I would never take a, like a normal job. It took me, you know, 12 years to get all that shit out of my system. Yeah, no, certainly I, I felt the same way. And I know for Drew, I mean, it's unbelievable when you see the difference, like Drew is somebody that I would put my life in his hands as far as, you know, if um, anything medical related and um, even when we were in the military. But I remember the Drew I remember when we were in high school and uh, middle school, he would come home, he would sling his backpack across the room and he would immediately lay down and start to go to sleep while I'd like wrench myself over into this crane position and begin my homework as soon as I got home. And my mom would come in and she would say, "Uh, Drew, do you have any homework? And he would just say, no, I have nothing. They don't give me anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he would do it every single day <laughs> until after two months, they would just, uh, they'd eventually come knocking and be like, okay, <laughs> you have one son who <laughs> was obviously with this program. <laughs> the other one checked out. So it's incredible. And, and, um, and he goes after it now. Yes. Yeah, it's also good to hear his, uh, or I guess your uncle's advice to him being like one of the major, like, information sources and transition because it sounded like he got out and was just kind of like didn't know how to set a goal i remember he was actually the the, at one point he was he was very much strongly considering going into the navy as a nurse which Hmm. uh, i think would have been cool too it would have been fine but um but i'm glad he stuck to it and was able to pursue the civilian side because i think uh 
um, well, it's allowed him to be close to home and, and set up the life he's had. So it's been awesome. Yeah, you would have you would have been very if you were still if you were still in your early twenties, you'd have been very uh, accepting of him both choosing nursing and in the navy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially it would have been very weird if he came in and he was my nurse. <laughs> it's like all all catheter related things will be bushed off to Drew, <laughs> your new nurse, your charge nurse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was uh, I wrote this down. Uh, just for the intro, and I don't know if it actually pertains to the episode or I just want to make like a public service announcement. Uh, I think it's like a little bit of each, but I, for, I forget what part of the episode it tied into. But like, we have horrific recruiting numbers right now. And yeah. it's, I think it's, it's some part like fitness to serve, uh, which we could, uh, we could go on like an old man rant about. Uh, and then it's other like the willingness, will to serve will yeah and the thing that's different nowadays is that uh veterans have started not wanting their own kids to serve and being a veteran is very much a or being a serviceman is very much a family business for the most part or for most people and like as veterans we have one of the biggest influences on how the military is perceived in a recruiting sense and like I, I kind of like taken take as much of an active role in promoting it as I can, you know, without lying with it. Like I wouldn't be, you know, where I am today without it. I just yeah. wish that like we could sort of taper down the hysteria and say like, this is a, a great, you know, it's like a great tradition. You know, we've had a military for like 250 years, right? And yeah. it goes through ups and downs, but like, I don't know. I, I would, I would never push a young person away from it. Certainly. I think it's, it, I guess the most important thing is to identify what that hysteria is rooted in. I mean, and, and you speak to tradition. I mean, when you talk about tradition, that is uh, being part of something grander and bigger than yourself. Like I wanted to have belongingness, but a part of a group that, you know, would imbue me with, with qualities that I wish I had, which would be like, you know, toughness and being able to uh, handle all sorts of adversity and being part of a badass ass-kicking force. And um, that's that was one of the allures, being in the Marine Infantry. I, like, look at the French Foreign Legion. French Foreign Legion has no problem getting guys. <laughs> right? When's the last time you heard about that? And I think it's because they right. have they've stuck to one uh, mold, one brand, you know. They certainly have a brand. Yeah, I mean the army's really had a hard time getting guys, and the navy, air force though too. Everybody, all. I think it's just overall down, you know. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I I say the same thing as you. It's it's a good place to kind of like build camaraderie, community. Sure. It's a good place to. Even if you don't learn a trade, it kind of just teaches you, you know, what a lot of things are worth and gives you that, you know, work ethic uh, for later on in life and some level of maturity. But also just the the fact that you've served and contributed to something that you think that, uh, you know, something's more important than you. Right. Which I think is a problem with a lot of young people. It's kind of like you, know, you go back to JFK saying, you know, one of the quotes like ask not what uh, you know your country can do for you, but we, you can do for it. We've kind of lost that, you know. 
a lot of political polarization on the one side you have people screaming like the military's too woke and we're fighting forever wars and then on the other side you have like the uh you know well the military is for poor people anyway right sure no i think just to have four years of your life um where you're not necessarily completely focused on your individualistic needs and and kind of like a you know a rat you know scratching and scraping and everybody else you know that there's something to be said about conscription there's something to be said yeah. about societies that have um like switzerland even if they're not necessarily going to uh go to war there is something that uh evens everybody out i just wish that people would be more positive on recruiting because we i mean you have to you have to show people positive examples of, I guess, life after the military, right? Which I think pretty much everyone we've had on, or they might not have been on, yeah. has shown so far in the show. Yes, I think so. Maybe we need to have an American Foreign Legion. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's also just so implicitly hypocritical when you uh, when you talk to somebody and they're like, you know, super proud of their own service. They got a career going. They, you know, they're like, yeah, I wouldn't be the man or woman I am today without, you know, my service. And then, Hey, how about your kids joining? Oh, hell no. It's like, okay, well, what are they going to be? A, like a YouTube uh, <laughs> star? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think also there might be a fear. Well, are there people, is there a, a um, guys that are in combat arms more likely to not want their kids to go into the military people that are combat veterans or is it people that are non-combat i don't know is there a breakdown between the two because i think i I don't know i I only read the abstract right the abstract yeah i just know in my case like for drew drew mentions that he wouldn't want his son to go into the marine corps infantry per se or combat arms that might have been it yeah but i think like for for God, I think it would be awesome to have a kid that goes in the Coast Guard, Air Force. I got to tell you I, what, yeah, Co- Coast Guard has the best social media. Yeah, it just yeah. looks like the most fun out of yeah. uh, any branch. It, it does. It's beach. It's the same boats, shit. It's like they show you the one percent of the whole force that's like having the most fun. I actually had a, a former teammate who uh, switched over to the Coast Guard. And he was like, yeah, man, I just inspect the boats when they come in the docks. I'm home for dinner every night. Wow, that's slick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not bad. Heck, yeah. And also, yeah, he's not doing, base. like, submarine assaults off uh, Baja, California. Yeah, right. And everything's in Florida, right? In California. Yeah. I mean, they can't. But the, they do, like, the, races. you know, they jump into the friggin' hurricane and rescue people from the helicopter and all yeah. that stuff. Coast Guard Instagram is the best one. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, because I always thought the Marine Corps always had the most slickest uh, marketing team. But I guess Coast Guard, yeah, well, that would probably give them a good run. I think, well, maybe we might just be going through a slump, though, just after post-war years. It's just like that. You know, I mean, not to dive into, like, something super political, but I did read about how, like, psychically people just got hit with an influenza gun after the pullout from Afghanistan, just how that was handled. It just, it's just, it, yes, you know, you can go all over the place with like deciding of like, you know, should we have stayed? Should we have gone? But just that, the yeah. way it was done in such a fucking haphazard shit fashion, 
it just makes everyone feel like they're just drenched in vomit. Like it just sucks. And um, that might have an effect on recruiting for quite a while. But, yeah, uh, well, I mean, next war, we're all going to just be driving avatars. Sick. Yeah, like, <laughs> or robots? Probably rope drone. Maybe Something. Drone. Uh, drone. Yeah, you'd be driving a robot drone. from your living room I over always, Wi-Fi. I always felt like they'll somehow marry up, like, hallucinogenic drugs and robots and something like that avatar system. It has to be something with, like... Um, like uh, to deploy and operate different weapon systems, like you, you like activate different emojis and something, something that's so rounded edges and like saccharine bullshit that you could just continue doing that like endlessly. You know what I mean? It's got to be something like I think so. You know, you just uh, killing hordes of people uh, is going to be tough without emojis. Jesus I mean, really, Christ. yeah, true. <laughs> you made me think of uh, I rewatched Inception recently. The the, like the little dream machine that they put everyone to sleep and they like share dreams with. Yeah, it's been they the say in the dreidel. movie it was. The, yeah, they say in the movie the trade the fucking <laughs> top. Top. <laughs> uh, the dream machine in the movie was developed by the military so that they could like put soldiers through combat experiences in a realistic fashion. I remember when we were getting ready for Iraq, they had us play video games, and that was some horrible training that was not video different. games like with your thumbs or yes, like with a like with a headset keyboard. and like a rifle with blanks they had one of those out in 29 palms but again it was in an air-conditioned trailer that was all blacked out on all sides with just one screen in front of you so yeah like us new guys would be playing on the simulator and then all the senior guys would be asleep because it was like air conditioned it was just comfortable for them to pass <laughs> But, uh, yeah. All right. So, well, we should talk about, like, promoting the show, too. Yeah. We, we have a website. It's thankyounowwhat.com, unsurprisingly. Uh, turns out nobody took that. And if you want to see all of our, like, show notes, episode lists, contact about us, not that any of that is, is uh, particularly um, amusing or interesting, but... Um, there is a, I think it's, it's thank you now what.com slash nonprofits or support. Let me look it up right now. Uh, a huge production value to this uh, intro, by the way. Um, yeah. So we don't monetize the podcast. We used to, but we stopped. If you're listening to an old episode, don't give us anything on PayPal or Patreon. Yeah. Um, Cause we do this at like a low cost and we don't need the money. But if you'd like to show a way that you can show that uh, to our broader communities, you go to thankyounowwhat.com slash support, and you're going to see just a big, huge list of all of the uh, nonprofits and organizations that we've featured at one point or another on the show. And I think I even tried to tag what episode they're in. So if you have like a favorite guest or whatever, or just whatever resonates with you, uh, you can go find a bunch of, uh, you know, organizations that uh, we like and we've featured here before. So go ahead and do that. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, we post that. Well, you haven't posted anything in like a year. Maybe we'll do it for this episode. Um, uh, we ha- I think we have the Twitter account, but we don't post there. Again, super highly produced podcast here. And uh, we're aiming for one episode a month. Maybe we'll just try to do like the beginning of every month. 
Um, I think monthly is is good, especially this one's going to be like three hours long or something, uh, depending on where we cut it. And then uh, just finally, like, you know, word of mouth. Word of mouth is best advertising. Um, if you like the show, you know, pass it to somebody else. Say that you learned something or it's just interesting to hear two uh, idiots like us talk and then have an interesting person on in the middle. Um yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll go on LinkedIn too, uh, since it's kind of like a you know a lot of this stuff talks about career and stuff like that. I think I'm banned from that place. I don't think I'm allowed on LinkedIn. <sighs> but um, I just thought that I just thought that as a uh, whatever you described a, yourself as, it's a professional network. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first that first word kind of excludes you. Yeah, I mean, I try to respect these websites and what they were made for. I mean, before Facebook was to connect college and university kids, right? And LinkedIn, I believe, yeah. is really meant for uh, uh, professionals that are, are you know. Well, LinkedIn is LinkedIn is meant for you to. And houseboy. Bre- <laughs> houseboy, that was it. Uh, I think LinkedIn is, is almost exclusively designed for you to just ring your own fucking bell these days and tell everybody about a great you know, uh, event that you attended for some reason, nobody cares about, um, Sick. some sort of promotion <laughs> that doesn't matter to the rest of us or, uh, some kind of motivational speech. And, uh, yeah, I mean, LinkedIn's kind of garbage too. Some picture of you at a convention. Um, we have a lot of apps for that. I'm, so yeah, I mean, yeah, LinkedIn. we do have, yeah. yeah. So yeah. fuck LinkedIn. So, uh i i mean i'm on linkedin because i like to give people who are looking at like school and careers um you know a chance to sort of uh reach out to somebody that they've either heard uh at a conference or at you know whatever kind of um other thing that i do on the side so i apologize uh, LinkedIn. i will i will i will try to answer those (laughs) but like not i no, the rest of the platform is complete garbage. No, but I mean, seriously, people, um, find something that's close to your heart in one of these charities or anything. And um, if you want to extend a hand and help them out, um, please do so. We have golden toilets. We have gold-plated AK-47s. We have everything we need. We don't need anything from you. So please stop sending us uh, uncut gems and all sorts of uh riches we don't want it stop it okay give it to others Uh, for god's sakes one thing is that drew talked about survivor's motivation instead of survivor's guilt you know he fought in a pretty gruesome battle and you know a lot of a lot of people can and have sort of let that cast you know a cloud over themselves at times and, uh, you know, he said he used it as motivation to live his best life because he's one of the lucky ones that actually, you know, got out of there with it still intact. And I think it's a super positive spin to put on something that most people, most times will just anchor to the bad. So that was a, that was a very powerful uh, clip to me. Absolutely. And that motivation to live for those those guys that aren't here, um, you can always do that. You can always go to that well. And find that strength and motivation for them, um, and make an incredible life for yourself, and and uh, and have redemption. You know, 
in that. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this episode and join us next time on Thank You Now What? Thank you for listening and share with your friends how much you love the show. Uh, scream it out on the Metro, street corner, whatever you got to do, put it out there and uh, we'd love it. We'd love to have um, you guys come back and listen to us next time. See ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I hope this one works. Let me, uh, let me do this. So wait, now, if I remember right, you guys both joined at the same time, right? Matt, you and, uh, it's 2003? Yeah, like two days after high school, June yeah. 2003. Oh, shit. Wow, you didn't wait at all. I was like two weeks after. Okay. But, yeah, but basically, I know, like maybe July 7th, 03. Yeah. Which is a funny story, too, because that's I was a year ahead of Chase in high school. I don't know if he told you that. He did. Yeah. So, <laughs> and for those people who don't remember, you guys are twins. Yeah, which is, uh, yeah, <laughs> which is already kind of funny, but uh, but you know what though, man, it's uh, he kind of had it right, man. I mean, there there's there's that phase in your life, maybe it's your whole life that you wish you could go back to high school again. <laughs> Although Chase did it early, so. And that was mainly because you were uh, you guys like grew up abroad, right? And then. Uh, Chase, when you said on your episode you were just a bit behind because of the language thing or because you were skipping around to, like, expat schools or something? Well, it was a self-confidence thing. My grades were were good to go um, for when I came back to the U.S. I just wanted to have a base of friends before starting high school. But Drew was just like, I want to get this fucking over with. Yeah. I mean, you were a better student, man. I was very much, like, kind of skimming the treetop level with grades, man, the whole time. So, um while Chase was, you know, you're getting awards, I mean, at least stuff on the refrigerator. I don't think I got a single thing on the refrigerator for those whole four years, so. <laughs> I think I'm more in the Drew camp, too. Yeah. I think I, uh, yeah, I, I failed calculus in my senior year because I had already signed my enlistment contract, but, like, I got a perfect math SAT score, so it's that duality of not giving a shit and all your teachers telling you you're wasting your talent. Yeah. Then, you know, pick it up later in life. At least your teachers told you you were wasting your talent. When I told them that I was doing the Marine Corps, I mean, it was funny. The, it was the opposite. They were like, great, you know, go go have four periods of weight training and study hall and the rest of it. Like, get out of here. So. Yeah. My, uh, so. my guidance counselor, like, canceled all her sessions with me. Oh, yeah. 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 She's like, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I guess we're done. Like, oh, thanks, lady. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so one question first did you listen to chases i assume so oh yeah 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 okay yeah, yeah. i don't know how many people just come on the show and never listen to it. i'm sure probably a lot but yeah i listened to a few man i listened to steve's too i know steve marley um so yeah, yeah. cool do you uh anything about like time growing up or spending time abroad as kids that uh you remember about what he said or maybe something you didn't say uh, well, I think, I guess we'll start off, I guess, um, my story is very similar to Chase's, but it starts two minutes earlier. Um, we're the twins that like, we constantly have to convince people that we're twins. Um, uh, I mean, you know, he's, I mean, when we were in the Marine Corps, they used to call us Danny and Arnold. Um, yeah. can't mm -hmm. really tell here, but he's got a few inches cause he's still got his hair, but I'm, you know, almost six feet. So I'm a little bit bigger than him. So 
but we, you know, we were constantly pretty much like built-in best friends from the beginning, man. I mean, that's just the thing about twins. It's kind of a weird um, thing because all twins, you end up kind of having this whole life path where you're kind of doing the same thing. You're in the same sports. You got the same hobbies. You got the same friend groups too because you're in the same schools and all of that. And and at some point, you know, as you go on life, you kind of have to like, I guess, part, you know. And I actually think that part of the reason that we were both in the Marine Corps had to do with the fact that we weren't ready to do that yet. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. but uh, as far as um, as far as our childhood, um, yeah, I mean, you know, my first memories, we were really young, was in the, you know, in the Philippines. Uh, our folks, my, well, my, my mom wasn't working at the time, but my dad, you know, does kind of was kind of State Department analyst kind of uh, guy. Um, and so, you know, we were there uh, till I was in school, like real school, first grade. And then we moved back to Northern Virginia, lived in Arlington. Um, our obsession back then, if you'd ask us like what we wanted to be when we grow up, it was like obviously going to be baseball players together. I mean, totally twin kind of stuff. We spent like all of our time after school just throwing the ball back and forth. And so we were really tight playing Little League and kind of idyllic childhood, I guess, I think. I mean, you know, we were built-in best friends. We fought a lot. Um, but... At the same time, like, you know, uh, always very close. My dad took a job in China. Um, you know, middle school is just a shitty time to move, so we weren't excited for it. The culture over there was pretty different. Um, it's communist. Yeah. We would I mean, listen to communist <laughs> anthems every fucking morning. We'd be on true. the bus, remember? And he'd go, yeah. and we'd be, like, blowing mucus with fucking dirt true, out of our noses. That's true. And it was a lot, lot different. It was a lot different, man. It was yeah, exactly. It was like three TV channels and that kind of stuff, and um, and uh, there was just not a lot of outlet for like sports, really. I mean, there was, but it was just their sports. So like, you know, there's a big culture around like, I don't know, like badminton, uh, badminton, ba- basketball, but that was never something we were into. And um, but it was all concrete, man. You know, like the place we moved to was kind of your. It was nice enough, but it was kind of like your gray kind of communistic tower block it was a diplomatic housing thing for americans and europeans and whoever that was there um near the embassy and like for fun we would just kind of take airsoft guns and just shoot roaches and Mm -hmm. rats and alleys like it wasn't like uh there wasn't a lot of organized stuff to do and the school was nice but it was like very academic i mean half the school were koreans and so these kids were like, you know, doing calculus at like sixth grade. So it was kind of overwhelming. Um, we kind of were a little bit fish out of water, but at the same time, you know, uh, kind of got through it. I think it, it probably played a little bit of a role when we moved back because like Chase said, you know, his grades were good, but he didn't, you know, in middle school is a tough time to move. So he stayed back and, uh, I think was closer to a lot of people back here. For me, I was kind of like into high school and, just wanted to get through it. Um, you know, I, and when I came back, I was still kind of a pretty good athlete, but I didn't, you know, wasn't as much into baseball. I played football. I was really big into lifting. Um, and I think like for me, my confidence in high school really started when I started getting kind of that positive feedback loop lifting and, um, and finding that like, that was the one thing I was good at was like fitness and getting stronger. One aside that just came in, popped into my head which is kind of like uh, Chase will love this question just from his personality. What uh, what do they do in China with the one-child policy when you have twins, especially two boys? Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
great question because, interestingly enough, boys are somewhat exempt from that. Yeah. So the youngest boy is seen as being the top dog, weirdly yeah, enough. Bullshit. Isn't the oldest boy? No, 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 no. It's huh? the Schauhardsman or whatever. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it was the young boy. But the yeah, but I think the oldest boy had the most responsibility, but the young boy was like the young prince. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he had something great. If you were a girl, uh, sorry, ladies, you got buried in a field. Yeah, I don't think it worked out well for like the boy. That's girl. what they the did. Boy girl they buried them alive so if well, they were so. girls. Um, uh, but, but if you boys, had it, that's only with twins with the boys, though, right? If you had a second boy, you couldn't have it. Oh, right. Well, yeah, that might be the case because having twins was considered twin boys is considered like, like that's like a Powerball ticket. Yeah, insanely. <laughs> like people would look at you like you were kind of like a walking holy relic. Well, like you're that. like tw- you know you're only a, a quarter of the probability of having twins, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. So it was. Um, that was like a it had a weird special place. I mean, again, though, you know, I mean, I'm sure you remember, Drew. Like us as Americans, we held like a, a weird place in Chinese society. Then we were kind of a curio relic. They used to like run their hands through our hair when we'd walk by. It was it was weird. Yeah, yeah. They take pictures with us all the time. It was um, it was strange. Although you know, it's funny, man. I got I you know I got no hair now. I got the haircut I never asked for, but I was definitely. Uh, bigger to get myself a normal haircut in high school i mean you had the the middle part butt hair yeah. all the way through senior year yeah yeah which like i mean that's like what, no, 2003 no. 2004 that's way grade. too far man but anyway no 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 i i at 11th grade during the summer i said i'm gonna make the change i'm gonna go to that the very classic uh crew cut but yeah, yeah i lived with butt hair for a long time um it, it, i remember it, the middle part in middle middle part middle school but yep. uh, when no, you said he, you were eager to get a regular haircut, did that mean when you like <laughs> moved back to the states, or that you just <laughs> stopped looking like an idiot by choice? Dude, I was so bound by social pressures that I, I thought if I do this in the middle of the school year, everyone's going to uh, think give a shit. Think you're trying to do shit? Yeah, yeah so so change change my style. So I was like, I'm going to do it in the summer, and then everyone's like, Oh, look, he's changed his hair. It's fucking weird, dude. Yeah. What a strange set of rules to live by. But anyways. Yeah, yeah, so you were, you were kind of going through a rebranding and you wanted to get the time right. Have people – give people a chance to digest it. Yeah. You know, coming out, new version of myself. Yeah. It's kind of like when you when you grow like three or four inches over the summer during high school. I don't know if any of you had like that year where you come back and you're like, I'm a man now. I'm still waiting on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting still, for that summer. You still owed that three or four inches. Because, dude, every time I come back to the States, everyone gets taller. I'm like, who are all these Goliaths everywhere? I'm still Lilliputian. Where were we? Uh, uh, high school. Uh, we were oh, talking high about high, you know, high school. Fitness seemed to make sense. Did you feel yeah. like, when, like, were you there on sports or just uh, you were slinging weights around in the gym? Oh no no! I was there on I, I was there on sports. Um, you know, I, I played football uh, when I was in high school. I did track and field, um, but you know, at the same time, like I was not somebody. You know, I would be on the track team or I'd be on the football team, but I didn't grow up. You know, I'm not a natural runner or natural football player. I didn't grow up playing football. I was actually growing up playing baseball. I could get some cuts in as a linebacker or special teams, but it wasn't going to be. I wasn't going to be a starting starting player, right? Um, it was competitive mm-hmm. enough. But for me, you know, like the way I approached school was, I mean, it's almost like I worked hard at doing the bare minimum, man. I would just get good enough grades to get everyone off my back. 
and then I would kind of slack off and then they would start to go down. And then the next quarter I'd be like, okay, I got to jump it back up and I would get a little bit better. And I actually was like titrating this just to barely pass. And, um, and I never really had anything that was giving me that, that positive feedback loop of like, yeah, this is worth working hard for. Um, but you know, when I finally started getting into weightlifting, I got really into it. Um, you know, and so by the, my senior year, I was doing competitive powerlifting. Um, and it was kind of like my jam. If I could somehow finagle as much, you know, lifting in, that was kind of my thing. And that was my crew of my friends. Mostly they were guys that were, uh, you know, super kind of meatheads. A lot of them were wrestlers and that was kind of like my core group. Um, I was not someone who was at all thinking about college, you know, like when you think about it, like it's high school, God, four years is like an eternity. And I didn't think that far ahead at all. Um, I just wanted to get through it as fast as I could. Yeah. Well, it's a good so. thing that you were stealing all Chase's nutrients from the womb so that you could just go like, you know, Hulk <laughs> mode when you finally touched a that, piece of weight. Yeah, that's the truth. But what I'd do is I'd feed off his blood at night. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd get it back eventually. I'd just have but. to bite his feet. <laughs> but that's that's kind of the dynamic honestly man we would we would get in we'd get in fights and the thing about it was is that like i was stronger and so you know he you know it was tough for him because you know i'd win that fight but then chase always was he had to adapt and just be much quicker and funnier and could just kind of torment me psychologically so that's like a huh. huge difference yeah. with our personalities is chase is just a quicker guy at the end of the day like no matter how even it's it's classic twins will clash i think it is mm-hmm. but we always were like best buddies like 10 minutes later like nothing ever happened it was bizarre yeah but it always worked out no we weren't the kind of twins that would fight and then it'd be like you got to go to sleep type yeah. shit yeah or no, you gotta go we go to that. a different school system or have different worlds you know what i mean no. like yeah no one like yeah that. i breezed over this big time but do you have any other siblings yes yeah we got an older sister okay mm-hmm. So she's about three years older. She was kind of like the leader of us, right? You know, mm-hmm. and then eventually she realized that we could gang up on her when she was like in middle school, and it, that's also an age the girls don't want anything to do with their younger brothers. So you know, then we went through a period where, you know, we were, were kind of were different lanes of life, and then now we're all adults, kind of doing a lot of the same shit. So we're closer again now, but yeah, yeah. Nice. Do you want to talk about your like when you first started thinking about or considering the military? Yeah, I guess I'd always held the the military in like kind of a high esteem thing. I mean, I had probably the closest kind of family member that both of us idolize is kind of a strong term, but like probably like looked up to was our grandfather. And so and he was a career Air Force officer and was a bombardier and did navigation on b-52s but he started in the world war ii era so he was on every type of plane that you could imagine you know from the b-17s up and uh and so you know like probably some of my greatest memories as a small kid was like going up to minnesota um he's a real kind of down the earth salt of the earth kind of guy from like central minnesota like really into fishing and hunting and all that kind of stuff and uh we would just kind of sit at the the base of his lazy boy and he would like tell us all sorts of stuff about you know that era his you know flying on planes and he'd he'd let us play with all of his guns and show us all sorts of stuff you know this kind of thing and like so i'd always you know had like that certain fascination 
I think the first time I kind of had any contact with the military side of things was my senior year. So, you know, they start making the rounds and uh, we had these career center kind of classes, you know, where they kind of expose you to different things you may want to do your senior year. And, and then they have like allow recruiters to come in and talk to you. It was probably like tarot to my senior year. And um, they set up the, the pull up bars outside of the, the cafeteria and were doing this, doing the typical thing, like, you know, listen, come here, we'll talk to you guys and stuff. But they were willing to give shirts out to anyone that could do 20 pull-ups. And so, you know, in high school, that's not many people, you know, like 20 dead hangs. And so um, I was really kind of excited to go there and get the shirt just more just to prove it to people. And, um, you know, the recruiter was just, his vibe was so different, man. It was, it was not like, you know, the army recruiters or other recruiters like, you know, come in, talk to us, we'll do anything. This guy was just kind of like not impressed at all with me or anyone. He was kind of just aloof the whole thing. He was just kind of like, okay, well, you know what, why do you need to be in the Marine Corps? Like, kind of like you guys are all a bunch of losers. It was really weird. And it, it kind of worked on the psychology, man. And I did, I did, I jumped on the pull-up bar and he was super strict, you know, because in high school, you're not about dead hanging totally. He, he discounted half my pull-ups, wouldn't give me the shirt and was just playing that, that like hard to get thing. And, um, I remember thinking to myself, man, these guys are, this is like a different outfit, man. This is like, this is a whole different animal. And I, I was like, I need to work myself up the courage to talk to this guy. He gave me the recruiting card. And it's funny, you know, his first line to me was like, I hope you're not some kind of weirdo school shooter guy that if I recruit you, you're going to like ruin my mission for this high school. Like, you know what I mean? Like his whole vibe was, 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 uh, you know, kind of like you need us more than we need you. And he was, and he looked the part too, you know, he was kind of a, like a jacked kind of bodybuilder kind of type of guy. So different yeah. hearing the stories of the different service recruiters. Cause that is like, so on brand for the Marines, Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's just kind of like, eh, come in, treat the guy like shit. You got a commercial with like, you're slaying a dragon and uh you know the cool looking uniforms and you're like this will get the right kind of people to join yeah and they they were kind of like mean to you from the outside they were really like we we really we don't need you in here yeah no they have they have a they have a little bit of a formula man pick up women with low self-esteem by the way exactly (laughs) no it's funny man it's it's funny because it's this it's yeah it's that (laughs) it's why youtube videos and how to do that but uh but it's funny man because i'm a magic andrew tate as a (laughs) Marine Corps recruiter (laughs) fucking mate i I can't do his accent but uh uh, don't speak just sign the fucking papers (laughs) well it's funny because the same this same kind of vibe ended up cropping up a lot and you know and i you know i guess i'm not a victim of it because i wanted it man and i was motivated and i loved it but but anyways the point being is i guess uh i you know i i was in a back and forth with him uh talking he finally said hey you know um i want you to you can come down to our office but you know have you talked to your parents? I think a better thing to do is, you know, I want to go to your house and talk to your folks before I kind of continue on, like, you know, talking to you or whatever. And, um, I was like, great, man. And, you know, this guy straight up showed up to my folks house right after dinner with his full on dress blues on. I mean, and he was, and, and he was a very impressive Marine. I mean, he had this kind of almost kind of silly, uh, recruiting, Marine Corps history. I mean, he was uh, he was an embassy, Marine Corps embassy guard. He was on the Marine Corps soccer team. He wasn't an infantry or anything, right? He was like an admin kind of guy. But he had all of these incredible things. He had like a, a Swedish wife that looked like 
the Tiger Woods X that he like picked up when he was in station overseas. So like his whole life was kind of like, you're like, man, this is where I want to be, you know? And, um, and my folks were kind of a little bit wooed by it too. I remember afterwards, um, my mom even telling me like, you know, when are you going to see staff Sergeant K again? And, uh, I was like, what, you know, that's not the response that you're supposed to get from your parents, right? You're supposed to get like, you don't need to do this or you need to think about your future. Like, so, you know, it's, it's funny, man. And, and, and of course, uh, within, I think a week or two, um, he was like, listen, I'll pick you up from high school. Um, and then you come over to the recruiting office. We can talk more seriously about this and I'll drop you off at your house. And, um, so, uh, you know, and that was like the first, that was kind of from then I was kind of hooked and, uh, um, it kind of developed from there. That makes me think of the, uh, you ever watched that movie pain and gain? It's hilarious. Yeah, that's with uh, Mark Wahlberg and The Rock, right? Yeah, Yeah. where he has the kids over to his driveway and he's like doing bench press and then he points (laughs) at his girlfriend. He's like, you see that? I just gave him that. I gave it away. Yeah. (laughs) Brings his wife over your house, your parents' (laughs) house for dinner, sits her down. Yeah. You like that kid? Huh? That's great. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he didn't bring his wife over, but he had had a picture of her at his office and was showing me stuff. I mean, it's just kind of funny. I remember when I went into the recruiter's office, I remember... It was pretty straightforward because I was really focused on the, the infantry angle. I remember I even told him, I said, I, I, when you pick your three jobs, I was like, is there any way I can just put infantry for all of them? And he's like, no, but I promise you, you'll get that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Am I at risk of not getting infantry? Oh, my God. Yeah. He was like, he's like, I guarantee you. In this day and age, you will get oh, yeah. in 2004. Yeah. No problem. Oh yeah, well that 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 kind of that kind of brings up a good point, well, right? Because because my because I was on a different path. I talked to him, and he's got the you know he pulls out the book where he's like, here's the different <laughs> occupational specialties. I had no idea that the Marine Corps even had this whole MOS thing. I mean, for me, it was like everyone gets on the hovercraft and just storms the beaches. I didn't. I thought it was a Marine. It was a Marine. But he said that he said he was one of those every Marine is a rifle. Well, guys. it's easy to do that if you're legal yeah, admin yeah, like him. I mean. but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, he was. And, and, you know, the thing is, he looked the part, man. He was in shape. He had jump wings. He had all this stuff, which is kind of weird, you know, for someone who was not really doing anything combat. But I guess he was able to get himself. And that was the whole angle. He was like, he's like, he's like, so, you know, here's all the occupational specialties. He's like, I think you're probably going to be pretty well qualified. What are you interested in? And I took it the book and I was like, man, this is all bewildering stuff, man. I mean, like, you've been in this organization. Like, what do you think I should do? I didn't even have a strong feeling about any of this. And, um, because really, I mean, to be honest, my motivation was not specifically to like, you know, uh, I wasn't joining because like, you know, I mean, 9-11 had happened the year before and that's like influential to some degree. But for me, it was mostly just kind of like the uniform and a gun and lifting club. I mean, I'd be, to be completely honest at the time, that was my that was my 17 year old brains version of this. And um, if most pe- I think if most people were being honest, they wouldn't be too far removed from that. Yeah. True. Yeah. And True. and so. And so anyways, um, you know, he's like, so I was like, what do you want? I was like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, what do you think I should do? And he's like, well, let me tell you about admin. And he goes on to say that I got to cut my own orders to like jump school. And why do you think I was able to get on the embassy guard duty plus the, plus the soccer team? I mean, so I actually kind of sound admin guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's basically that way. And I was like, I was like, well, let me show you how to take care of yourself, kid. <laughs> I said, I said, okay. I said, okay. Well, all right. Well, put sign me up. Let's do it. So he said, okay. We'll make admin your first choice. He's like, but you got to do two other choices. And I was like, well, 
He's like, he's like, so come up with other two. And I was like, well, the other two, I just want to just do regular Marine shit. He's like, well, just put in infantry and the third one, tanks or artillery, whatever you feel. Uh, and I was like, well, the tanks look pretty cool. Let's do that. So, um, so that was the, the three choices. So I go through the entrancing processing. Everything goes well. Um, I got, I sign on. I'm going to be admin in the Marine Corps the following year after I get out of high school. It's like the spring, um, you know, of 03. And of course, you know, at that point, Marine Corps is back in the news with the invasion of Iraq. And we start having guys in May um, who were guys that were poolies the year before in 2002 who had gone in on the invasion and were coming back on like leave after the invasion of Iraq and like helping the recruiters on like post-deployment leave recruiter assistant kind of stuff. So that was super motivating, right? It was like the first time we got to meet like combat vets that were only like a year older than us. And these guys were telling us all these crazy stories about, you know, just kind of how they were just fucking shit up and all this. And, and, and so at the time I was like, wow, all right, I, I want to go ASAP. I don't want to wait till like next September to go. Cause that was my, my date. And, um, the guy, the recruiter that was in charge of the whole station, uh, went and asked, he said, Hey, you know, I noticed that a lot of you guys have dates to ship to boot camp at, in the fall. Like, you know, there's a lot going on, obviously, in the world. Like, who wants to go early? And I was, like, quick to raise my hand. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to go. I'd like to go early. So so, uh, so he's like, fine. So he goes and, you know, he makes a few adjustments. I think everything's kind of going fine or whatever. And um, and then I get a new date. So that's nice. And uh, I was like, all right, well, cool. That's fine. Of course, graduate high school. And, um, you know, I'm pretty young. I was still 17 when I graduated. And then I went to, you know, get ready to go to boot camp. And of course you go through the whole experience. It's like the first time really being away from home. And they send us off to the, the map station to go. And then the next morning, right before we ship down, you know, take the flight down to South Carolina, they're like, here's the moment you sign your final contract, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I go in there and the guy's going through the contract, all the things, initial, whatever. And uh, at the very bottom, it says, you know, O three infantry. And um, I, t- I told the recruiter, I said, my recruiter said I was going to be admin. And uh, the guy that was in charge of the entrancing station came in and he said, he's like, listen, you got you got an option. He's like, uh, you know, you're free to leave. You're not under any obligation. You can call your recruiter and leave. I don't care. He's like, but I want you to think about something. And this is where the pitch came in where I was. I didn't think about it at all. And he goes, he's like, listen, you got to think about right now. You get the choice to be a Marine or a real Marine? Do you want to be just a Marine? Fuck. Or you want to be a real that, Marine? That makes me want to sign something right now. He's like, because he's like, if you want to be a Marine with an asterisk, go call your recruiter. He's like, but if you uh, want to be a real Marine, you'd sign right now and yeah. go, down to, go down to Paris Island. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. I didn't know that happened. Yeah, man. And then he said, he's like, I'm going to give you a few minutes to That's think about it, though, man. And he, walked, and he walked out of the room. And nice. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Uh, I got to do it. You know, of course, right? Yeah. And, you know, he was like, "Do you want to be a warrior or do you want to be a eunuch?" <laughs> so you know, and, and hey, listen, I, I was like, fine. So I was like, good. So yeah. he comes back in. You signed it, and I and it was already signed. And he's like, he's like, good. He's like, uh, he's like, good. You'll be a real marine. And uh, Ooh. and then I, you know, left. And you know, you go through the go down there and. The rest is the, I guess, as the Marine Corps calls it, a green blur. You're off to, you're off the boot camp. So, it's awesome. It makes me think of Steve's episode where uh, 
the commander was like, no, men, you know, we we project about 25% casualties, and everyone goes, <laughs> yeah! Yeah, I know. <laughs> that still kills me. I mean, I think of that every other month, and I die laughing of all these men. They're like, we'll be bodies! We will be dead! Yeah. <laughs> we do Frost. hear from, like, a lot of people uh, our age that are on the show, though, that like back then there was this this thought that we were going to miss it. Yes, yes. And then twenty years later, we got people falling off the wheels of the plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. You could. I mean, yeah. You're absolutely right. It was nuts. There was this feeling. Even when I signed my contract later, I went to an army recruiter, and the army recruiter told me that you, I should drop out of high school, get my GED, <laughs> so I could get over to Iraq sooner. Because he's like, by the time you get done with everything, it's all going to be over. And I was like, no, I should drop out. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny. It's funny. I never really thought about that fear of missing out until, you know, what really kind of kicked it off was actually seeing all these guys um, come back, like, to the recruiting station uh, after OIF1. Um, and, like, you know, they were kind of a different – you could tell. They had, like, a different edge to them. And they were just kind of like – man, I want to be part of that. And it was almost like we were going to miss it because at that point they were like, yeah, you know, it's Marine Corps is out of that country. It's just, you know, army mopping up. And so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, there wasn't this thought at all. Like when I shipped that it was like certain at all that you were going to go to Iraq anyways, um, at all. So, and I didn't really understand how the Marine Corps worked enough to know like how any of this was going to go down. I mean, it was like, I didn't know what I was going to do the next day at that point. So, um, yeah, I think they uh, they killed Saddam's kids when I was still yeah. in basic training, and the you know you don't get like the news or anything uh, back then, and you know you had like your your quarters to call home every other week. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know drill sergeants come in, they're like, yeah, you know killed Uday and Kuse, and you know we're, we're making some headway there. This thing will all be over. Yeah, you know. Can you imagine if you screamed, no! (laughs) Send us now. I just learned how to load my rifle and tie my shoes. Can we switch back to uh, chase your lens through, you know, this time of of, uh, Drew obviously going first? Yeah, so it was really like a a try-before-you-buy kind of situation. I was watching Drew go in and I said to myself, I definitely want to do something in the military, but I don't know whether it's going to be the Marines or the Army. But I had so much pride for Drew going in. I was like, this is so cool. This is so awesome. Uh, Whatever he does, I want to do this. No matter, I want to get some of that. I want to do either the Corps or the Army. And I remember my folks saying, well, just just relax, take your time, you know. Um, you know, wait for your brother to get out of boot camp and see what he thinks. What do you think he was going to think when he got out of boot camp? Like, as soon as you get out of boot camp, your image of yourself is like you're the you're the champion of America. Like you'd be like, <laughs> you know, in like a yeah. in the movie uh, Troy when they're like Agricolas and they're like God, oh, he comes out of the crowd and it's like represent. Like I wanted to be, I thought of myself like that. When I got a boot camp, and I looked at Drew like that when he got a boot camp. So as soon as he uh, graduated, I was like, "I'm going to the recruiter." As soon as we get home, and I'm signing that document. That's the end of that. Mm-hmm. But um, but Drew had just finished uh, boot camp, and so the hilarious part is then he went to SOI. And as soon as you came back with your buddies, 
to do laundry and like hang out and like just get away from the base. I still hadn't signed my second contract. I hadn't shipped the boot camp yet. I was still in high school. And Drew's buddies from SOI, SOI students, when you go through a huge, you're just low point. It's just, you're miserable. You're at the bottom of the totem pole. You feel like scum. And they were like, fuck that. Walk away from that contract. Walk away from it. It sticks. Yeah. This blows. And I was like, no way. I'm going in. I'm going in. And I remember, Drew, you told me something which changed my destiny, my course. He said, I can't convince you to not do this. But if you're going to do this, go be an 0352. Be an anti-tank man. Do that. Go for the weapons company thing. Because he's like, really, being a rifleman blows. And, um, you know... Like at least with that, maybe you'll be in something. Yeah, might be you, don't hide, you don't have to hump. You don't have to hump as much. Like that was like it something, was something small. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You'll, so you'll, that was my you'll be in a turret in Fallujah. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> that advice yeah. gotcha. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was my view through it all. Yeah. 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 Do you guys want to talk about like your? Um, I guess to what extent were you just like trading off experiences and either like passing by? each other during those early years or got to spend time with each other that wouldn't occur until after your first tour yeah we were yeah because and um, after my little afghanistan that's tour. right we didn't actually um we didn't actually get to the first i remember the first time we got to 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 kind of be uh both in the military together and both stateside was when i got back from iraq in uh, two thousand, the beginning of 05. and I got back in the spring of 05. Or maybe, maybe were you were you deployed when I got back? I don't. You or you were about to, you were about to deploy. I was about to deploy. Yeah. You saw me right before I went to Afghanistan. Yeah, I remember. I remember it too yeah. because the first thing we did, man, it was funny. You know, we, we probably I don't know how chronological any of this has to be, but like the first thing he did, man, is like you know after we just kind of like hugging out, whatever at the like uh, the like the receiving gym place. You know, we drive back to the hotel room out in town that um, he was staying with because my mom had come down. Mom, mom and dad maybe come down. And uh, the first thing he did was just jump me from behind with a rear naked choke and tried to what? grapple me in the hotel room to see to see if he could beat me because, you know, he'd obviously been in the Marine Corps for six months. And, uh, you know, I had I had to kind of, you know, make tell him that the hierarchy hadn't changed. But I'll tell you. You were way stronger. It was like I was like, "Whoa, this is this is a different animal from what I remember when we were in high school together." Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I went from a slight of frame high school kid to a wayfish marine. Yeah, so I was like, I was like choking out underneath the air conditioner. That, wasn't that much of a change, but but yeah. uh, but it was it was it was funny, man, and I could see the change in him immediately. Yeah, there no, you know, yeah. I mean later on we would cross paths more more um, after. Well, yeah, well I was during my workup for Iraq. Yep, and your work up for a mew so there was times when we'd hang out and we get to see each other but that was all after it, 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 was, it was less than you'd think because of the training at tempo and the deployments were totally kind of on opposite schedules you know so it was tough on the folks because yeah. we deployed staggered so there was always one of us kind of overseas but yeah or, no definitely yeah, um yeah. so but uh you know. but yeah i mean boot camp was a huge shock to me too man i mean I, you know i had done organized sports i played football and so um you know some little aspects of it were familiar this whole concept of like group punishment right i started seeing a lot of that in the marine corps but everything was much more dialed up so i felt like the biggest part about boot camp was that it was just much more psychological the, the training was it was much more kind of getting that kind of 
punk 17 year old that doesn't immediately do what the hell they're told to do what the hell they're told immediately. I got back and I was on post appointment leave. You're at the most top level kind of ego status. You come back, you know, I'm seeing that recruiter and I'm like, man, you changed my life. This was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and, uh, you know, all of your friends from high school are like, wow, you know, you're just, uh, you've totally different. Right. Um, but then of course, like it's a huge come down because you have to go down to Lejeune and then check in to go to infantry training. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I went through, I went through infantry training. Um, I decided to become a rifleman because I wanted to stay together with the buddies that I had in infantry training. Cause apparently if everyone, anyone had any one little infraction, it was automatic. You're just going to be a rifleman. And then after that, I got put in a battalion in Lejeune in the eighth Marine regiment. One eight. Yeah. Alpha <laughs> company. Yeah. First battalion, eighth Marine regiment. Yeah. It was December of 2003. So yeah. <clears throat> Drew, take us now to like you spinning up for your first tour to Iraq, what we were expecting. Yeah. So when I first checked in in December of 03, we didn't actually know anything. They were like, listen, if we go over there in June, you guys are just babysitting, um, you know, these places and you missed all the combat. Um, so it was kind of dejecting actually. They, we didn't, you know, I was like, shit, well, I want to get in and get some stuff done. So I'm not, you know, I want to have some stories. I don't want to be like a boot forever kind of you thing. You want to be a real Marine. I want a real, real Marine. Okay, was, this was a story, Marine. right? And so, yeah. and, um, you know, cause, and at that point that's, they were like, you're going to be at some more kind of nondescript place in Western Iraq. Basically it was like peacekeeping. Um, you know, you would be patrolling, setting up, uh, you know, kind of checkpoints and observation posts and mingling with the locals. And the workup was for a kind of low intensity kind of thing. Fallujah stuff was all over the news which had us all thinking, man, we got to, you know, I hope we can just get in there and, and, and be part of that. But at the same time, maybe we thought we would miss that too. Our company was patrolling Haditha, Iraq, pretty small kind of city, but a city nonetheless. And, but we were under really kind of strict orders, mostly just to do roadway security, um, checkpoints. We would do observation posts on the edge of the city and really kind of low intensity stuff. Um, it, like we were not, going into the town very much. I'd say probably in July of 2004 was when the first time we'd heard about an operation in Fallujah. That was it. I mean, it was, they started talking about it then. I think we were at Haditha Dam and the battalion gunner started saying, you know, hey, guys, I know you guys are kind of frustrated doing all these kind of, you know, low intensity stuff, but don't you all worry. This Fallujah thing, it's going to be a thing and it's going to be a thing this year. So just be ready. And so, and of course that just prompted huge Lance Corporal rumor mill, the rest of the deployment on and off of, are we going next week? Are we going next month? And so it kind of hung over the rest of the deployment until we finally went down there. So early October, they finally said, Hey, you know, we're going to be going to Fallujah at some point pretty soon. Um, and I remember the first thing that was kind of rough is that they were like, we're going to have to leave a certain amount of guys back here to, you know, guard detainees and do stuff at the camps and stuff oh, like that. God. And so for the new guys that were like, you know, they were like, man, I don't want to be, I want to get in. I don't want to be left back, you know? And so it, it, it's funny actually to think about that, how like, you know, the young guys were just, I mean, they would, people would be in tears if they were told they weren't going to be going in. And, and usually most of the guys that were left back and they were, were, were guys that had, you know, chronically had had issues either you know, just kind of fall asleep on post losing shit people dumb. people that, you know i mean just you know there's people that have the or just kind of they're in the spotlight you know and and so 
um, we had a few guys, and some of them maybe you know would have been just were better at that kind of stuff, um, doing the detainee uh, guarding stuff. So yeah, that was kind of a stress thing. And I remember being told, oh, you know, it's you're going, you know, Martin, you're going to be you know part of this. I remember feeling pretty excited about it. And then of course the next thing that set in was we're going to be going down there as a battalion, but nobody's to say anything to anybody on the phone. Like it was going to be, you know, that was the big thing. I mean, they always talked OPSEC, but this one was like, you know, listen, you know, don't, don't be broadcasting shit. And, um, and then probably, I don't know, it must've been like the middle of October. Uh, they finally said, we're doing this. And then we got in seven tons and convoyed down to this kind of austere camp right outside Fallujah called it Iranian training center, ITC. When we went down there, a lot of people were thinking, well, there's no way that these guys are going to be fighting against us because the whole time, of course, we're at ITC, um, they're just nothing but artillery shelling the whole time. You know, there's a whole bunch of those self-propelled guns set up and they're just shelling the city constantly. And so we're thinking, man, there's how, how on earth is anyone going to be left for us? In fact, it's funny, like what Steve said, a lot of us were like, let's just get in there because we don't want all the artillery and the airstrikes to kill everyone. You know, we want to get in there and get some combat before it's too late. That's Marine Corps, man. It's very funny. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Save and, uh, some for us. Save some for us. No, it's, 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 that's the mentality at the time. And of course the waiting is just agonizing. So, you know, it's kind of like the hurry up and wait. And we didn't know what day they could be the next day. It could be whatever. And then they gave us our final objective of, of where we're going to go. Um, and so our company was to seize the mayor's compound in the center of the city where it really started getting pretty real was maybe a, a couple days before they gave us an entirely new kind of kit of weaponry and totally different ROEs. And we had a bunch of briefs from the higher ups that was just totally different than what we'd experienced for the first four months we were in Iraq. Talk us through the first day for the attack into Fallujah. We left the camp and uh, they dropped us off behind a row of the row of Abrams tanks that, um, had kind of built with the plows, like little revetments. And uh, they, we dug in and started building skirmisher trenches behind them. And then, of course, just Marine Corps style, it starts raining like fucking crazy in Iraq of all places. And <laughs> and so uh, we're so God we're smiling on you. <laughs> so we're wet, we're freezing. And they tell us at that point, they're like, yeah, guys, we're not going in right now. We're going to go in tonight. So at night, once the sun goes down, it's going to be a night assault. Now, what were people like during those moments? I mean, I think that most of us were realizing that this was kind of the the last, this was going to be the last moment of peace for a while. Um, We certainly realized that, like, I wish we slept more because we're like, shit, we're not going to be sleeping at all. And this was, you know, we were just running on pure adrenaline at that point. So, but we didn't really need it. You're 19. You don't really need sleep that much. Christmas Eve and Battle of Fallujah. Yeah. Two that's times right. super tough to sleep. That's right. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, so then nightfall happens, and I think that's where it got super real for a lot of us because the engineers hit a massive line charge, like, and it was the biggest explosion I'd ever seen up until that point where they just basically detonated huge amounts of stuff to clear a pathway in case there was any mines or IEDs or whatnot coming into the city. And, I mean, this thing shook shook all the ground and we knew okay it's it's going in and probably i don't know within a couple minutes 
I think the shocking part was the amount of return fire coming out of the city and just seeing all the tracers just going everywhere. And so we get on the tracks and yeah, you know, normally everyone's just kind of fucking around and joking. But when we got on those tracks, everybody was quiet as shit. Nobody said a thing. It was just kind of like everybody was kind of in their heads like, okay, we're doing this. And um, we get in the tracks, the ramp goes up and start moving. And at first, you know, you know, kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And then all of a sudden you can kind of feel the difference when the track hits on pavement, has this kind of metallic type thing going, vibrating underneath you. So we're newer in the city. And then we were kind of looking up and you could see the power lines and stuff and the, and the buildings. Um, and then we finally crossed out of the Marine Corps lines, the, where Bravo and Charlie had established the foothold. And, um, you know, we could just see the machine gunners up there and, uh, you know, they're kind of giving us the kind of thumbs up, like, go ahead. And, uh, we get through and we were thinking maybe all hell was going to break loose and, you know, it's dead quiet. We just keep going. And then we finally get to what is the edge. I can't really see anything because I'm down on the track, the edge of the sit, the edge of the mayor's compound. And then our tanks to the front start doing recon by fire. They're starting to hit, shoot the main guns and the coax guns at the, the mayor's compound and the, and all this. And we breach through these big walls with the tracks, the tracks just jump through the walls and we're now in the middle of the parking lot of this thing and the ramps are down and we're just rushing out and uh, throwing a 360 in. And um, it was just eerily quiet. It was dark. It was like three in the morning. Nobody was hitting, attacking us at that point. Um, most of the fire was just the continued recon by fire from the tanks. Um, our platoon seized what was called the sports, sports uh, ministry building. It was kind of like a rec center kind of thing, but pretty big. A couple story building. We took it. Um, no one was there, totally quiet, um, posted one of the squads on the roof. And I remember, you know, the sun was coming up and we were starting to smoke some cigarettes thinking like, wow, what the fuck happened? You know, how is this? And probably within five minutes of the sun coming up, just everything just erupted, man. I mean, the whole building started shaking and we were just taking huge volley fires of RPGs and machine guns on the roof on pretty much every rooftop in the whole building. And, uh, and then it, yeah, and then, I mean, it was basically like an all-day firefight. Our squad went up to the roof to reinforce the squad that was currently taking fire. And, um, you know, and it was uh, initially, I think everyone was really exhilarated. They're like, okay, it's on, you know, and you're getting up there. And fortunately, all these RPGs come in, but the squad was still totally intact. And mostly you were just kind of tripping over everyone else's shell casings because everyone was basically going cyclic on the um, all the positions across the street. Um but it was also bewildering, too, because, you know, getting all this firepower on us. But it was pretty hard to figure out who was actually shooting at us. After a few hours of all of this, we couldn't really quiet him down. The tanks were running and they decided to you know try to see if they could dislodge him with an airstrike. And so we had a F-18 come in, drop a couple 500 pound bombs. And the first one um, basically just hit about, I don't know, maybe 15 meters ahead of our position. It was, it didn't, the bomb did not go where it was supposed to go. I mean, we saw the jet coming in. Everyone's cheering. We're like, we can't wait for this fucking thing just to rock this building across the street. And uh, everyone's like, you know, yeah, yeah. And then just all of a sudden, you see these two little tiny black dots come off the F-18 and, and you're like, okay, that's it. And the first one just coming in, like skimming right over top of the building, like, you know, maybe 20 feet off the top of the building. We're like, this is not normal. You know, you just saw it for a fragment as it just kind of flew over and you could feel the shockwave it coming over. And then it just buried in kind of right in front of the building. And initially we we're thinking we're fine. But then when that thing blew the fuck up, man, I mean, it it uh, 
it sent up a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, it was the first time we had a bunch of casualties in the platoon, too, which, you know, changes everything. It, it totally changes the mentality around um, being and we can't fight, wait yeah. for this stuff to we can't we're still motivated, but like we can't wait for it to be over kind of thing. Yeah. Totally in like a dust cloud. And then when it started coming down, it was just these huge chunks of concrete slamming through the roof. And when we we were on the rooftop and fortunately, uh, more of us could have been hit. But, you know, one of the machine gunners next to me got it really bad. And so it, it was a lot. So I heard you talk about, you know, people being quiet. And I know that you were pretty young at the time. And even then, like there, were, there might have been people without much experience, minus like the guys who had been on one tour before you in your unit. If you were an older guy now, as you are, what would you say to those kids? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I almost kind of feel like you. I mean, it's almost they're almost protected by being young, I guess. You know, because I think that's one of the things is that at that age, you think it's always going to be somebody else. You know, it's never going to be you. It's always going to be somebody else. And I think that actually protects a lot of young guys. Um, I mean, they really honestly really can't do anything other than just take care of your buddies the best you can. But I think for a lot of us guys that were, you know, all most of the Marine Corps, most of the Marines that we're with were really young. You know, you just, I, I almost think it was psychologically protective, um, you know, because that was, you could, you know, grab, grab a few guys, you know, that have been hit put him in the poncho, four-man carry, you're under fire, you're getting him out, you take him to the track, and then you got to go back up on the rooftop and fight. And I think if I was older, I'd be like, I don't know, man, I, I might try to find another job in this platoon. Maybe I'm going to post security down at the, the doorway at the, the bottom of the stairs. But at that age, you're still kind of like, you know, you're like, I don't want to leave my buddies up there and we're just going it, to, it'll all work out. It's just, maybe it won't, it's going to be somebody else. It won't be me. It's weird. I, I think that's an 18-year-old guy mind, you know, and, um, that uh it's almost like they've got something i don't have anymore honestly i mean to be completely honest it's i i don't know what i would tell them other than just like uh you almost have it you have a certain invincibility complex um there yeah yeah (laughs) something something you made me think of when you're talking about high school and how long your four years in high school seemed is you know how short-sighted young people can be i think uh you know this isn't scientific at all it's just matt talking but so, you know, one of those things might just be like you view a period of time with your own age as the denominator. And so yeah. when you're 18, a year is only, you know, like 5% of your life, right? Nowadays, we're pushing 40, you know, a year goes by. I mean, three years ago seemed like yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you can kind of apply that to like, you know, well, hey, we're either going to make it or we're not. And, you know, like the rest of my theoretical life after this, you know, there's like a chance I won't even have to think about it anyway. And so Mm -hmm. you leave in the moment. You do. Yeah, I mean, I think there was moments where you have time to kind of process and think and go, shit, you know, I hope I hope the next kind of run of this of the gun battles we're in or the next thing we're doing is, you know, you know, doesn't go the wrong way. I mean, you're still scared. I, I don't think there's anybody to say like, you're, you're going to, but it's kind of in the lulls that it kind of crops up a little bit more. And then once you're back in it and, you know, everyone else is kind of stepping forward and, you know, getting in it, then it's like, okay, well, we're all, we're all in this together and you stop, it kind of fades away. And it's just about, 
uh, going after it. But I think it is a, it's a younger man's thing. And it's funny because we, you know, right before we went into the city, we had to leave more people back to do various stuff on that base we were stationed in. And it was the older married guys that pretty much put their hand forward and were like, you know, hey, you know, I got kids. I'll, I'll, I'll go and, you know, do this or guard that. And, and I don't know, it's funny that, you know, our higher ups were like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I, have, I, I have a personal story about, you know, a teammate with a lot of kids and uh, just saying like, hey, uh, you know, let's sort of like do what's best for our extended family. And I yeah. don't have one right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that and I think also like, I don't know, I think that like with us young guys that are like 18, 19 years old, like so much of our kind of emotional and kind of self-worth is like kind of what your buddy to the left and right of you thinks of you. The last thing you want to do is come back from this thing and be like, Oh yeah, so-and-so was a pussy out there. You know, like it's funny, you know, to think about like you're crawling over stuff and there's, you know, and these guys are whiz popping you. If you put your head two inches up and you're like, I'm getting over there because I don't want Martinez to say I'm a pussy. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, it's just funny, you know, like as a 30, 40 year old man, you'd be like, it's kind of silly. But at the same time, at the time, it's different, man. And and also, to be honest, you know, you're just it's just a different head space, you know, like you don't think it's going to be you. Um, but, yeah, it was a really intense. And, and, and that first day was intense. We had we had the issue with, uh, you know, the, the bomb that hit. Uh, we were basically these guys were pretty relentless. I think a lot of us were pretty shocked at actually how. um dangerous these guys were fighting were they were not just kind of guys that were just coming in spraying uh trying to like do a hit and run um they were kind of in it they were volley firing their rpgs um they knocked out one of our aevs set it on fire um thing was a mess um just sympathetically detonating at4s and god knows what was in the back of it couldn't go near it um so i mean you know it was you know and they were waiting to get free to get close before they would open up so um, there was just a different animal of people we were fighting that we were used to. And um, and uh, and we didn't really know what was next because we didn't really expect this totally. But um, that went on for for a whole day, although it was kind of strange at night. Once the sun went down, they kind of would stop attacking. Um, and I think I don't really know why. I don't know if they were trying to get sleep or they were really fearful that, you know, we had some night fighting capabilities that they didn't really fully understand. Um but yeah, then at night things would kind of get all ominously quiet. But as soon as the sun came up, man, they were back at it, and so then it would kind of just keep going again. And that was the first day, so that was where a lot a lot changed for us. And um, and it, we you know we we're starting to count the days of like, okay, when is this gonna end? Were you were you still serving when Chase got hit? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was. I was. I remember that because I was in. Uh, down training for a Mew, the expeditionary unit, and I was down in Fort Eustis, Virginia, doing some training there. And um, you know, I, and occasionally I would call home and stuff, and I I talked to my mom, and you know, she said, "Hey, you know, Chase is in the hospital," and I was like, "Oh shit!" You know, I, initially I wasn't sure. She didn't say specifically what happened. I was like, "Oh, you know, like what the f- what happened possibly?" And and she's, I think the initial thought was that he'd been shot. That's what they had said. Yeah, that's what they said. That he'd, he'd been shot. shot and then he was in the hospital. And our uncle had kind of, I guess, something of an inside track of how Chase was doing because he was in the Air Force and worked in some kind of medical thing and could uh, coordinate stuff. And so he was kind of feeding the family a line there. But 
But uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was awful because I was like, my God, man, you were what two weeks? You were in that left seat, right seat phase of about to leave that leave, leave Fallujah. And I was at Bethesda Naval Hospital. They said, "What do you want?" And I said, "I want to see my brother. That's yeah. all I want. I want to see my brother." And they said, "We'll we'll make it happen. We'll let you see your brother." Your unit said what to you? Oh yeah. So initially, I went to my staff sergeant, and then it kind of ran up the chain of command that like my brother was injured and was in the hospital and was going to be at Bethesda, um, and. Uh, and that I wanted to get leave. And apparently went up to them, and initially it was like, well, is he stable? You know, is he going to live? I mean, he can always do this when a few weeks when you get back from the training op. They were not concerned in, like, you know, expediting the thing. But Chase talked to this, was it congressman's wife? No, it was oh. the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps' wife. Oh, wow. She okay. came in, and they had pretty much told Drew already at this point, they said, yeah, unless he's in critical condition, we're not going to let him go. Like, he's got to be here. And he was literally, like, two and a half hours away. Yeah, that's right. I wasn't far. And, uh... <laughs> like, and he was, I think he was just, like, standing by, just hanging out. No. Like, he could have come up right after training, seen me come right down, and it would have meant the world to me, and I think it would have meant a lot to Drew. So, like, it was, it was kind of brutal. So, I did, you know, I was like, well, I don't have anything to lose. So, this assistant commandant... Marine Corps' wife, she came in, she's like, anything you want, I can get you a milkshake and a Subway sandwich. And I go, actually, I'd like to see my brother. And uh, totally threw your unit under the bus. I said, they said he could come up, <laughs> oh, shit. but then they changed it and said he couldn't. And I don't understand why. And she goes, well, that's not going to stand. I'm going to make a call. And you know how they always talk about their husbands, like, I'm going to talk to Mark. Like, I don't know who this, all this guy is. I'll yeah. call Mark. And uh, then... Yeah, so of course, when I, I hear that he's done this, it's a mixture of two things, man. Part of me is thinking, like, okay, well, that's nice. You know, maybe we got to see him soon. Other part of me is also kind of scared. I'm like, oh, man, I hope this doesn't, like, cause all sorts of shit. Yeah, you know? I drop kicked a hornet's nest. Exactly, you know. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I was, uh, we were guarding this water treatment center, and all of a sudden on the checkpoint comes up a Humvee with the colonel in it. And I was like, what the fuck is the colonel doing here at, like, you know, the middle of the night? And he drives in. Um, he doesn't even notice me, but he drives in, and, and then all of a sudden I hear over the radio, "Hey, Martin, you got to get back to the COC or whatever, like immediately." I was like, "Oh no!" But at the same time, I was like, "I kind of know what this is." But at the same time, that's not something you want to hear when the colonel has just gone into the command center or whatever. <laughs> and so, uh, so I get back, and you know, he uh, he's he's a nice guy in, in this sense. I mean, he's not someone, you know, normally you'd never want to face a colonel as a junior enlisted person, but, you know, he took me out back and then he was like, listen, you know what this is, man. He's like, I'm sorry about your brother. Um, but you know, if the commandant's office calls me and says something's going to happen, something's going to happen. So, uh, pack your stuff. Uh, you know, you want to get out of here tonight? I was like, thank you, sir. <laughs> you know, And, uh, I, I felt weird about this too. Cause you know, telling a colonel what to do was awkward for me too. But you know, they made arrangements, and the net, by the next day, I was uh, I was coming up to see him at bedside. So, my uh, <clears throat> I have a buddy. I hope we can get him on at some point. But uh, his dad was uh, like a his dad is Vietnamese, and he was like an Arvin Ranger in Vietnam. Uh, he was also Whoa. a POW and uh, escaped and all that shit and whatnot. Got on one of the planes to come back to America, and so you. Know, 
he and his brother both served in the U.S. military. And his brother like got wounded on a tour, and he got to call home. His father picked up the phone, and he's like, how bad is it? And he's like, I think I'm returning to duty. And he's like, all right, great. See you when you get home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. I'm okay. Clank. That's the best. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's it's no, it's it's and I think it's that's tough. Good. It's gotta be tough for a lot of wounded guys. I know with our unit it felt a lot of them I think had actually a lot of guilt, especially depending on where you were wounded in the battle. We had a you know, quite a few casualties in the platoons and the companies and a lot of those guys, you know, they get medevac, they go stateside or 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 even if they're just like kept in Iraq for something more minor and then rejoin the unit like in a week or two. In the intervening time, you know, if you've had some guys get killed, they feel like, shit, I maybe I should have been there. I could have done mm-hmm. something. And so there's this the not being with your brothers, that whole kind of just being separated from them. And is is, you know, even for the people, you know, it's just psychologically rough. And, you know, and it's like, no, I don't want to be like, no, dude, man, you're the one who you're the one who took, you know, took a took a grenade, man. Like, how are you doing? Like, don't don't feel bad that you weren't you weren't there for that. So. Um, yeah, for Chase, maybe for us who haven't taken one or people who didn't serve, uh, I'm going to maybe do like a straw man, you know, comparison. But like if you're, you know, playing sports, you get taken off the field, but your team is still playing, except it's like the Super Bowl and people are dying times 10. <laughs> is that yes. how, is that like anywhere in the realm of how it feels? It's certainly, it, yeah, it's in the realm of that. Um, it, and also, at the it's same time... It's like the fact time, that people are still going after it, right? Yes, it, it also, in a weird way, the guys that get wounded early in their tour are like, oh, Jesus, I, like, I, I got clipped right from the get-go, and I want to go back in, and I missed all this stuff. And the guys at the end of the tour, guys that get wounded, are like, but I did all this stuff, so I kind of should just cross the finish line. And then also at the same time, there's something that just feels like you fucked up. I don't know what it is. It's the weirdest thing. But you you don't feel the 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 honor that that um, some might want to bestow upon it. I guess more of the British mentality. The British have somewhat of a weird mm-hmm. mentality when it gets wounded. That's why they don't have you know. medals and stuff. Oh, yeah, you know, man. I no, I but I definitely can feel yeah. for that. There was always this kind of weird kind of guilt about it and stuff in that in that respect. I feel like the later on in the battle, things got much more personal because we had to do a lot of uh, basically once this, we had completed the operation, just kind of push through the city. Then we thought we were basically done after five days, but then we had to go back and clear every house in the city. Right. I mean, it was just like the blitz going out of a platoon and every house had to be cleared. And so a lot of the guys uh, that we were fighting against, some of them had decided to just kind of hold up there and basically keep these things as suicide houses. And that was definitely the most harrowing time of the whole conflict um, because they're they had advantage of surprise. We also didn't have the advantage of any of the you know tanks or artillery or any of the aircraft, anything. It was just you're kind of going in and then in a dark room. Um, getting lit up by these guys and we lost quite a few marines and it sucks because a lot of it was you know these the shit would just go crazy the whole room would be full of smoke and sparks from the ricochets and once we'd kind of reconsolidated the position we realized oh man we we got somebody left in the house somebody's left in there and then we'd have to then have to take the position back and going back and forth finally kill them and then recover the body um you know, at some point you kind of think you're like, 
there's nothing we could have done, man. I mean, it just, they made the sacrifice for us, you know, and, and the guys that we lost, I kind of always look at them like, I don't know if there's any tactic that we could have done to, to kind of counteract this. They were just the first guy in and then all hell broke loose. And so I kind of live, I mean, that's like a huge thing for me for motivation is I have to live in a way that like down the road when I die, you know, and I move on, I'm gonna have to face them and I'll have to be like, I hope that I didn't spend the rest of the life I was given, you know, like a, a waste. Cause I know you wouldn't have. Um, and so that's, it's like almost not survivor's guilt, but survivor's motivation. I, I try my best with that. It's a very challenging enemy to fight, man. But uh, we had to kind of learn on the job. And so that was, that was the, that was kind of the most psychologically tough stuff was you'd be clearing like a hundred houses, but you know, one of them would be a total hellhole, um, And another 99 were just nothing. So yeah, it's just, you never know. So does that keep you vigilant nowadays in the, that like on the, as I, you know, I had a couple boring deployments, um, but you have to force yourself to stay vigilant. And I'm not saying Fallujah is boring by any means, but when yeah. you say like on the back clear, it's one out of a hundred, you have to treat everyone like it's that one. Do you still yes. keep some of that with you? Like in anything that you do today? Big time. Yeah. Because you know, I, kind of going forward, I ended up getting out of, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I got medically oriented and got into the healthcare field and became an ICU nurse and now work in clinical medicine in the ICU as a nurse practitioner doing heart surgery. And it's the same thing. Um, that uh, attention to detail and just relentless attention to detail and sense of urgency um, is so helpful. And it, and, and it, it you know, the, the surgeons that I work for, appreciate me for it. And they're like, this is something we can't really teach. You just kind of have to have it. And so that's why it's all personality has been a good fit because, um, you know, you, you, you have a better way of just being really diligent about pattern recognition that you may not get if you didn't come from that kind of experience. I also think the other thing too, is it also puts everything in perspective. I mean, like once you've been through that kind of stuff, you know, when you're just working in 70 degree, you know, air conditioned rooms and fluorescent lights, it might be really harrowing doing like, you know, a major resuscitation on a gravely ill patient, but you know, Hey, you know, you're there, you're not the one horizontal in the bed. Um, you know, you can, you're, no one's trying to kill you. (laughs) So, uh, it's a perspective, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Well, depending on some of your patients, you might be killed one day. Yeah. You're working on some Illuminati person. (laughs) That's That's true. After the battle, what would happen to the Phantom Fury Marines? I mean, a lot changed. We got back to the, the States um, January 05. We get a post-deployment leave, which was fun. And then we get back to the, the battalion. And at that point, um, it was kind of like the idle hands thing, man. Um, I think that what I saw is that everyone coped differently. And so for me, I was just still like so into lifting and I had a whole crew of guys that I'd kind of, it's almost like I reformed a little bit like the group I had in high school. It was just like a whole group of us that once we got secured for Libo, we went over to the area two gym and we would kind of do our thing there. And then we would head back and, you know, and that was our, our thing. And, but I think for another group, um, they had kind of gone pretty astray and hitting the bottle hard and some of the stuff into way harder stuff. I mean, it, you know, every kind of drug you can think of. Um, and it sucks because, you know, we had a big issue probably seven, eight months after that deployment where we had a bunch of guys uh, pop on the urinalysis and 
getting separated from the Marine Corps. And at the same time, we had an overdose and one of the Marines, the weapons platoon, overdosed and died. Um, and this was just a total morale bottom, you know. And I remember our gu- company, Gunny, at the time, we all resented it. But we were, you know, about to have memorial service with a Marine that had overdosed. And um, but it was at the Marine Corps base chapel in Lejeune. And in the parking lot, you know, his take on this was not like charitable at all. He was like, listen, we're coming off the buses. He was like, all of you guys, the blood of this guy is on your hands. You guys failed him. You guys let him to become, you know, a drug addict in the barracks and didn't do anything, tolerated this. And you guys are responsible for this guy's death. I just hope you know that regardless of anything that's said today. And we we took it as being like, holy fuck, this guy's a fucking asshole. And 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 it's it's as a 19 or 20 year old and especially cuz he wasn't part of our group on deployment you know he was not a combat veteran like he's actually a drill instructor <laughs> uh who had just come over uh we didn't we took it the wrong way but there was an aspect of it that was there was true and i think as i've gotten older i've seen it and that you know there is something true to be said that it, you know what's the worst that could happen had we said no man like it's just not you know you need help and we're not going to cover for you and you're late to formation. We're not going to cover for you when you're high in the barracks or whatever. We're not going to cover for you for that shit. And, you know, so be it if you get kicked out of the Marine Corps, or you have to go to the Naval Hospital to detox or whatever it is. But I think at these young guys, it's like, no, man, everybody can kind of handle it, you know. And it isn't people don't want to step in and do, and do that. And I think that was a real point of kind of uh, where it would really hit, hit rock bottom and – I fortunately was really lucky to avoid that. Um, it was too much of a health nut, and um, I didn't really run as much in the circle. But um, they were good guys. They had just gone really astray um, down that path like a lot of people have, um, even in and out of the military. And uh, it's sad because, you know, them when they got separated from the Marine Corps, it was a very different experience. I mean, it was don't collect your GI Bill, no disability, don't collect, you know, no pass, go. It's over. Um, it's like it never happened. And so... That's rough. That's rough. Um, and, and some of those guys are still pretty bitter about that even to this day. So, yeah, and understandably. It, it makes me think of something interesting, though, because, you know, I mean, uh, it's probably a product of those guys' experience, right, versus just like a, a young guy who can't keep his nose clean when he's supposed to have the discipline. But I don't know how much of that you thought it was and then – you know, having a separation like that and then not being taken care of, like, by the VA and the, you know, GI Bill and stuff like that when it's like, you know, in a parallel universe, all you know, all those guys are probably not, you know, doing drugs and shit like that, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's – I've always had a hard time kind of teasing out what, what was related to the service and what wasn't. I, I do think yeah. that Marines are – we are kind of like – you know, we, we're kind of uh, we do everything as a group. So we succeed as a group and we fall as a group. And I feel like with a lot of those guys, they started kind of living really hard and crazy and they were all doing it together. Um, maybe there was a certain aspect of I don't got shit to lose because, you know, they've come so close and, you know, they realize that life is something that can be taken away from them. And they just have moved on to an extremely like fast life kind of live hard, die young kind of thing going on. Yeah, it's hard to know, man. It's hard to know. They're wild guys. Yeah, it's that, like, you know, two months ago, uh, yeah, I could die any day. How am I going to treat my personal life any different? Why don't I go, you know, doing 100 on my motorcycle? Because fuck it. Yeah.
Can you start talking about how you're approaching your own transition out of the military? Yeah, yeah. So, so I knew I, I knew I didn't want to stay in um, at that point, and it's part of it was just cultural. Like in the infantry, people just don't, for the most part, stay after four years. Um, you do your four years, you get out. I mean, we you become so tight with the guys in the company. Um, you know, this is the place we were basically at the whole time. So when they leave, it kind of is like part of the Marine Corps leaving you. Like you can't really, it's hard to imagine the Marine Corps not within the same company and the same battalion because it kind of is where you're at the whole time in the infantry anyways. And so, you know, they're all leaving. So you don't really have the pull to stay because of the brothers. And if there's a reason to stay for career reasons, um, you know, a lot of the guys that stayed, you know, maybe they wanted to go into something really specialized. You know, they wanted to go, try to try their hand, try to become reconnaissance or MARSOC was kind of getting built up at the time. Mm. But that was nothing that was appealing to me. And particularly with like what happened to Chase, which was towards the end of my time, that was another reason where I was like, I need to, I want to go home. And I, I, I didn't have any of that feeling of I didn't check the box. You know what I mean? After the kind of first deployment I had, I, I was fine. And um, so... But I didn't know what I wanted to do, man. When I got out, I, I had no idea. I had a few guys that I'd known that had gotten out before me. Um, the guy that I told you about that I that was in high school with, who you know joined with me, he had gotten out um, early for some issues, but it's a whole other story. But anyways, he had already been out, and he was uh, he was working at tables and bartending and stuff. And he had told me he's like, hey, you know, it's good, easy money. You just get cash, and it's it's fun. You meet people. And so I got out. The first job I got was working at a restaurant, waiting tables and doing bartending and um, just kind of figure it from there. I knew I wanted to go to community college because I wanted to get in on the GI Bill and just at least use it, not leave money on the table. But I didn't know what I really was going to do. And I think that I finally fell back on the whole fitness thing. So I got a job at a local gym working in the fitness, you know, as a, as a personal trainer. And I think that was a huge lesson for me because you know, I had never really had to be accountable for like myself from a like business perspective before in my life. You know what I mean? Like I'd only worked like basically this is what you're getting paid, you know, and like your your needs are taken care of. You know, like seriously, I mean, you know, like and especially you growing paid up the same exact thing and you don't yeah. have to worry. You have a ton of stuff to worry about, but not like um, like your your personal economic productivity. Exactly. And so, but the, but the personal training was different um, because, you know, they, they get put me through training. Um, I kind of looked the part at the time. I was really motivated. I loved it. I loved just living in the gym. So it worked out. Even the weird hours where you do a few clients and then have to wait an hour or two for another client. It worked for me because I was like, hey, where else where I want to be is just be here. So I liked it. The hours were fine, but you were only as good as your last month. Like that was, that was a new reality to me to like make you know, two grand or two and a half grand one month. And then the next month makes 1700 because, you know, something or else was happening. You know, one of your clients got injured or somebody moved or they canceled their membership. And having that feeling of only being as good as your last month was really rough um, for me because I was like, oh man, like that's, some people feed on that, man. Some people just, that's their drive and passion. But for me, um, it was, it was tough. I was like, I kind of want to, feel secure that what I'm doing is uh, based off some kind of skill that I'm giving somebody. It's not as much as a sales thing, you know? And so the guys that were really succeeding where I was at were the guys that were showing up on Mother's Day with like a bouquet of roses, giving women like roses in the locker rooms and all this really kind of salesy stuff. Go into the women's locker rooms and give them roses? Yeah, man. Um, Sick. Well, you realize (laughs) that personal training is just, is really a sales job. 
it's a sales job. You're right. It's and you're selling yourself, but you're selling this whole other vibe. And and it's funny, you know. I did. A, I I made a decent amount of money basically doing like the daily seven in the morning, doing four count exercises. People ate that up. They were like, "This is very." They like that oh, yeah. stuff. The civilians I like the Marine Corps kind of working out stuff. They don't. I mean, get here it. in New York City, we have like Barry's Boot Camp is where all the bougie people go. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I know. We were talking about this before, Drew, how there's this weird, like, uh, commodification. I don't know if that's the right way to use it, but commodification of the military culture mm-hmm. where it has, like, yeah. a, it has a value which could be sold, whether even if it was just hearing about it or um, being a part of it, whether it's, like, training shoot or, you know, the clothes yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we, we should pause right now to mention our sponsor, uh, Thank You Now What yeah. Coffee brand. <laughs> what about brown rifle tea i want to come up with that like a taliban subset yeah. brown rifle chai yeah man so so that that was a big that was a big lesson for me and then i and then another big lesson was one of my uncles is a registered nurse and and so that kind of normalized nursing as as a profession a lot of people have a block if they're a guy they're like "Eh, nursing isn't really something that's a normal pathway but for me you know i had an uncle that was a nurse and so that always that always felt as something that wasn't like uh um to kind of way off out out there kind of career as a as a a young uh, special forces medic i pissed somebody off big time um just speaking without thinking about what you just said i can yeah i can't really see myself as a nurse you know i mean i think yeah. if i was gonna go into something i'd have to be a doctor right yeah and it was like over dinner and uh i got a i got a stern talking to <laughs> yeah no it's do you want to be a real nurse or do you want to uh, <laughs> <laughs> i know shit. i know i know i need to go do that but uh but yeah, so and so I had a so he I had a really great heart to heart with him once um, when he came to visit and he was talking to me and he was like, listen, he's like, because also at the time, you know, I'd been doing this, I was in a committed relationship uh, with my future wife, um, and I was a little bit adrift. I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, like I I don't like the sales thing, um, and actually that part of that thing that happens to almost everybody, it's like six months after you're out, inevitably the thing that you never thought you'd do is, hey man, maybe I need to retread back into the military. I really did think about that um, at that point. And it's funny because the guys that I'd, that had, there was a few guys that I'd known who had gotten out and gone back in. They all went back in, they all went in the army. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody went back in the Marine Corps. And, uh, I had a good buddy like that. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and I was like, you know, and I was like, all right, well, maybe I need the army recruiters vibe right now, you know? Um, but but at the but I was thinking about it, and I, and I were talking to my uncle. My uncle was ex Navy, and he was he was like, "Listen, he's like Drew, man, you know, why are you trying to go back in?" And I was like, "Well, I told him the whole predicament with personal training and all the rest of it, and kind of where I'm thinking about going my life." And he was like, "He's like, listen, but like, what's the best thing that could happen if you went back in?" In in his opinion, anyways, and he's like, "The best thing that could happen is you basically repeat kind of what you did already." Which in my end was back like, to pollution. Which, which, which in my end was like par- partially, I guess, exciting, also partially kind of horrifying. But I was, like, <laughs> I was like, well, I was like, yeah. I was, he's like, he's like, you know, he's like, you know, maybe he's like, you know, it's going to be hard, man. He's like, you have an emotional attachment to it because you liked your buddies and you had all this. And he's like, it's different when you're older. Yeah, believe me, man. He's like, it's not going to be. He's like, the best thing you have to find, uh, you have to find something new and different. And then he kind of pitched the nursing thing to me. He's like, listen. He's like. The thing I liked about nursing is that I got to be a technician first. It didn't cost me much. 
and I was paid a certain amount of money. And he's like, then I went to additional training and learned something else. And then there was a, you get a dollar raise there. And so basically you're paid for what you can do. So the more you can demonstrate skill, the more you can get more certifications, you can demonstrate taking care of sicker and, and more complex patients. That's what you're evaluated on. So it's not sales. It's the opposite, right? So he was like, but listen, I, but before you go down this pathway, you have to absolutely know you want to do it. And so he's like, I, I recommend go become a nursing assistant at a nursing home or something of that nature. He's like, if you can do that for six months and you still love this job and you don't think this is a problem, he's like, then go full bore. You'll be fine. You're going to be mm-hmm. fine. You'll be super successful. He's like, because that's the base, the base of it all. It's kind of like the infantry of this thing, you know? And I was like, well, I got nothing to lose. Uh, you know, I really liked my uncle and I think that he was always a guy with good wisdom on this stuff. And, um, and so I, uh, I got an, you know, my nurse aid certification and I worked at a, a nursing home and, um, you know, I liked it. You know, it's funny. Half the guys there were like old vets too. So, you know, it's just funny. You know, all these guys from Vietnam and Korea at, the, at that point anyway, um, you know, you, you jabber with them and stuff and, you know, it's, yeah, I never would have thought in a million years that I'd be helping basically elder disabled people with their activities of daily living and helping them with their medicines and all this other stuff. But it was one of those things. I thought it was really meaningful. It was shift work. There was still, you know, a lot that you had to um, be very diligent on, you know, patients would have stroke symptoms and, or be overdosed on their medicines unintentionally, hopefully, um, you know, and, you know, given too much insulin accidentally and things. And so there was a lot of things that had to be watched out for. And, um, I felt like it was meaningful work and I was like, well, you know, I'm gonna take it to the next level and got into a community college program for nursing. And then, and that was the thing every few years I could take another bite at the apple and get the next thing. And then went up to ICU nursing and then, uh, ended up working all across the system in a bunch of different ICUs with different kind of types of patients, surgery, neurology, neurosurgery, and then ER, and then, uh, and then ultimately to nurse practitioner school. But unlike medicine, where you have to just do this long, insane slog, uh, both time, commitment, everything, fellowship, residency, all that stuff, nursing, you could take a little bite, you know? Now, was the here. time you worked in the psych clinic, too, when you lived with me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So, so that, that was, um, you know, that was, uh, that's kind of, that's been the thing. And and I've always really, and, and the same qualities you get in the Marine Corps where you kind of had that ability to, um, have perspective, um, you know, and have that really big attention to detail and just the timeliness, man. I mean, it's amazing, you know, how many people, uh, don't show up to work on time, you know, and, the, and people appreciate that you come the 15 minutes early thing, all of it. I mean, it all sets you up, man. And people try to help people that, that work hard and, um, and, and it's, it's nice. I mean, I kind of feel like, and it's worked out real well for me, um, over the years and kind of where I find myself now after doing all of this is I work as an assistant to uh, cardiac surgeons at this pretty big hospital and I do all the ICU care. So it includes a lot of stuff traditionally associated with physicians placing, central lines, arterial lines, chest tubes, endotracheal intubation, all of that. So it's, it's a place I would have never thought I would have found myself, um, 10 years ago, you know, you said that you were able to take sequential bites out of the apple. Did you know that at the time, or is it something now that you can kind of look back on and talk to a younger person as like appealing? I didn't know it at the time um, because just like I, I knew about as much about healthcare as I did when I joined the healthcare system as I did about the Marine Corps. You know, I knew my uncle and what he told me, 
but then you get into it and you're like, there's a whole bunch of people working in this system and doing professions that I didn't even know about. I didn't, you know, first time I met a respiratory therapist, I was like, I didn't know you guys existed. And then now they're an absolutely essential thing. I, you know, they're kind of critical to what I do. Um, and, and it just, you know, and then the whole idea of nurse practitioners doing what we do, um, that is partially something that's also evolved over the last couple of decades. I mean, the field, the non-physician uh, provider field has just absolutely just exploded in demand um, and what we're doing. So, which even 15 years ago wouldn't have been anticipated just because of demographics and other factors. So, um, so it's all kind of a, yeah, no, there was no, it would be cool if I kind of had gamed this all out 3D chess, but I know this has all been every few years I've kind of reevaluated. I think the other thing too, and this is very military centric is always volunteering for everything. You know, and and recognizing that that opportunities are time sensitive. I remember one of the things when I was with in the infantry unit in one eight. Uh, when I got back from deployment, you know, I was a range coach and I loved to shoot. And I was with a whole clique of guys that like were obsessed with exercise. And so it got the attention of some of the guys in the sniper platoon. And they're like, "Hey, you know, Martin, would you want to be try out and do the end dock and get into the state platoon, the sniper platoon in the battalion?" And um, I remember thinking to myself, "Yeah, man, I kind of want to." But I heard that you guys, you know, have to, you guys uh, PT every Saturday and Sunday with their platoon sergeant was pretty intense. I mean, he basically never got more than like a day off. These guys really, unless it was a 96, they were pretty much locked down to base because they were doing all this extra training. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, man, you know, I don't know. I like my weekends. I like my freedom. They would do a 10 mile gate run every time they had a 96 before the 96 formation. They were just doing all this other crazy stuff. And maybe I was just a little bit lazy. I just wanted to be with my buddies. And I was like, well, maybe after the next deployment, I'll get back to it. And, you know, that that opportunity didn't come back, right? I mean, you know, the indoc's over. You can't go. And so I remember thinking to myself, you know, looking back on it, when someone gives you an opportunity, if, if it's hard, like, take it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so after I got out, that also had been a thing, is that, you know, when all of a sudden they would say, hey, listen, we need volunteers to learn how to use this kind of dialysis machine or how to do this type of thing, I would always be like, step forward. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And, and that always helped me, you know, and that's part of the reason why I ended up moving up the chain faster is because I never really, I always went after everything stuff that I didn't even know if I would like it or not. I think yeah. that's the thing too, is you always, sometimes when you're super young, you're like, Oh, well, they'll always be next month. They'll always right. be the opportunity that I get will always be around. But no. you start realizing that like, if somebody extends their hand out and is willing to give you an opportunity, like, you know, you, you do it, man. So the, the way you moved through like the healthcare field, did you feel like a pull where you saw something that was potentially underserved uh, or something that, you know, had like an emerging need or, or, was it that, you know, balanced with an equal amount of like excitement on your part to sort of like advance your own expertise? Um, I think part of it was advancement. I think the expertise was advancement. And a lot of it too is just luck and also just personal relationships. I mean, the practice I work for, I was kind of, um, you know, I found out about it and was invited to it by a, a, a guy that used to supervise me uh, like two jobs ago. And so, you know, I just keep those connections and and, and so often when I'm moving to the next level, I kind of look like who's blazed the trail first, right? So um, when I wanted to think about becoming a nurse practitioner, I went to the people that I knew who had gone through the training at different schools. And I'm like, you know, what worked for you? What didn't? And so I always kind of looked at like who was kind of the rank ahead, so to speak, in life and just said, hey, like what's going on with you? Like how did this work? And and then I kind of go to the next level and, and uh, 
you know, make sure that I always, you know, keep up with people that I think are, are good people I'd like to work with. But I, I was never like a long-term planner. It was just kind of an overall, just kind of ways to approach things and just like, you know, whether it be volunteering and just getting in after it and it, it's kind of worked out. What were the, uh, what were the biggest bites out of the apple? Cause you started off at community college. I imagine that, or did you do some kind of like four year degree? And then I don't know exactly what the, what it is for nurse practitioner. I think most people say it's uh, similar to physician assistant, right? Yeah. So I'd say that the biggest, so the biggest bite out of the apple was probably, um, probably the community college level, honestly. And I think the reason why is like, as far as, um, you know, being able to do basic writing, basic math, those basic, basic skills. And those are all atrophied when I was in the military, right? I mean, I didn't do anything but more like sign a form letter the whole four years, man. I mean, I didn't write anything in the Marine Corps. And of course, you saw that, you know, my whole approach to school was basically treetop level as far as grades on everything. So, um, you know, I had a lot of potential, but, you know, I really needed to develop it. And it's, it's funny to say this, but I, you know, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now is an elementary school teacher and she's really good at all the basic stuff. And so it's kind of, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's a life hack, but I just had the benefit. I would, I would go home and I'd be like, listen, I'm, I'm not too, I'm not too proud. I'm not, I'm not too proud to tell you, like, I, I, you know, they're writing all these marks on this thing. Like, I can't tell you where the, the, where I want to put a comma. I just put it where I feel, you know, and, 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 or, you know, this, long division i've completely forgot how to do it man or help me open this goddamn drink box <laughs> yeah and so you know it, it actually just getting reprogrammed to that was uh was was funny the hardest once i learned the pattern on like how to write a paper how to communicate how to how to study appropriately for 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 material and then it just scaled up as it got more intense you know and you just kind of like oh i got a pattern i got a way and then it's just it's either you put in more work or not and i kind of found it worked because i was a hard worker but no, the first thing was just kind of tackling that. I, I, just a little bit of like jumping back. I remember right before I got out of the Marine Corps, they had an opportunity for everybody to that wanted to improve their ASVAP scores. You know, if they wanted to like stay in but go to a different occupational specialty that needed a higher ASVAP score, they could uh, they could go and take this like one month basic skills thing at, at the base high school. Dude, the, I never knew that. Oh existed. yeah, yeah, yeah. Are yeah. you serious? Yeah, they did. They yeah. went back to high school. Yes, this is exactly this was what we're talking camp, about. This is before, a campus in high school, but as an adult. <laughs> People do that before going to uh, special forces too. Yeah, they like don't have what? good enough. Yeah, they don't have like yeah. good enough test scores, and they go yeah. take like high school classes. No, <laughs> no dude, it's, it's, I didn't know this. It's so it's funny. What? Yeah, I know it's it's real. It's real. Now they, they it's didn't like put, Billy Madison. It, yeah, well, they didn't put us in the same classroom <laughs> with the kids. Oh, okay. Um, okay. We were in a different class. Go to prom again. <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck. Uh, those dude, Marines are probably still going to prom off post anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah right? I know. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but the, the point is. <laughs> The point is, is yeah, man, and I I went to it, man, because I was like, well, this is cool. So they're going to give us a month of like not just chilling around the barracks and but like going to this. The first thing was they made us take a test the first like couple days to kind of separate on the things. And they had like a thing, and it was like the the one group was the turtles, the other group was the rabbits. Oh no! The other group was the. It was very schooly, man. The other group was the the rabbits, and the other group was I don't know something, and um and and uh and it turned out, man, that like it somewhat correlated from like what level of school you should be at, and so I tested into the group that was approximately like high schoolish, you know, but nobody nobody was in the above it. (laughs) Uh, uh, most people, many of the people were in this turtleish group that was, I think, fifth or sixth grade. 
<laughs> no. Yeah, and they had, and so it's not good. It ain't. No, no it's not. Shit. So and so, I don't think I don't. <laughs> Something you're not supposed to say out loud. Yeah. The, mil- oh. the, the military IQ. <laughs> oh my god. No, that's crazy. Yeah, and so and then and then we went. You know, you did a month, and then at the end, just you, a month. Just it was a month, oh, and then God. and then you get yeah, a certificate one week per grade, like Billy yeah, Madison. One week per, per grade, man, and then they give you a certificate that you attended, and then uh, I think these guys would then sit for ASVAP on their own. But most of us just took the certificate and were like, "This was just nice to go to high school for a month." Yeah. Wow. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of silly. I am a Marine Corps <laughs> infantry veteran. This is preparing me for my next career as a Marine Corps engineer. <laughs> yeah, man. So, and you know, the end of it, dude. The end of it was like full on school. They had a. We watched a movie and a pizza party the last day. That's pretty sick, actually. I like that. Okay, oh, I'm back in. I like it. Yeah. I will say sure. though that because I went to. Um, I did community college as well, and mm. you know, if I opened up like one of my English papers, it would look like a something I write. I would write a, like a memo email today. Um, but yeah. it did get me kind of like it was that shift into being a, being ready to learn again. And yes. we had a guy on uh, his name is Zach Reiner, um, and he's I think he's a doctor of physical therapy now uh, at Duke. But, you know, he started in the North Carolina community college system. And I know he's a huge advocate, too. And it was him, you know, uh, making that switch from being uh, he medically retired. But, you know, from being, you know, that uh, airman to now being able to be a student. It's something, too, like when I talk to undergraduate veterans, you know, it's not to be overlooked, um, learning how to oh. learn or learning how to be a student again. Yep. Totally. That's a good little pawn to get on your feet. I mean, we went to community college together yeah. and actually I have really great memories there of like, if you show some motivation, you can, you can get your confidence up and you can really, um, you can get a foothold in the world of academia more and, like, and getting that direction pivoting there. Absolutely. No. And it's also, it's a fraction of the cost. You know what I mean? If, if somebody was not having uncle Sam pay for it. So why not? Yeah, that's huge. It can build your confidence up too because you're not surrounded by, you know, goodwill hunting. You know, it's like you're surrounded by just anybody. So, you know, that also makes you realize I can do this. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> should, I should start encouraging people. I like I have any like market pull, but I think people should like put community colleges on like their resumes and their LinkedIn just to let other people know that like it's a super viable step. And especially if you're talking about like affordability. Like, like testing the waters, affordability, making up some momentum. It's like one of the smart, it's actually one of the smartest things you could do. One of the things that I've had to learn um, is, you know, how to lead and motivate people who are different. And it's not in like a touchy feely kind of way. It's like, you know, I, I work with people from, you know, all different kind of walks of life and most of them don't have military background and they're like great at what they do super intelligent motivated you just have to find out what it is with them and i I think you know it's easy for us to just think everybody else is like us treat them like that marine recruiter Uh, it's like yeah "Ah, scumbag you know (laughs) you look back and the guy's you know carrying 100 pounds over his head and just steaming through his nostrils it's like that does not work with people no, it doesn't, man. And and it's it's also I think like what's really interesting is like for us, like we get each other and I think that like 
guys that are from military perspective are like, you know what, you can be totally direct with me. Just be totally direct what you want, and that's that's what you get. And it doesn't have to be sensitive. Well, in uh, in the civilian world and a lot of institutions, um, you, you know, people really want to work with people that they feel like they really know, and that person really knows them. Mm-hmm. And that's true of anyone. I mean, even military probably is something to think about. But, like, you really have to kind of develop that. And then people are really willing to work with you. I mean, you have to do it to a much higher level than you would um, if in a military environment where, you know, it's just kind of you take it for granted almost, you know. Mm. Um, Yeah. Could you could you imagine like being in the military and and having the person who outranks you either one ask you what you need to, you know, hey, what do you need to be at your best? And then two, like, hey, could you tell me, you know, your opinion on how I can do my job better? Yeah. Whoa. Never in a million yeah. years. Yeah. yeah, it's but those like two questions are so helpful in uh, you know leading like diverse groups of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say in the Marine Corps it was more like probably what it was like the relationship with you have with a pharaoh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just are like, we are we building another triangle building? They're like, no, this one's going to be a cat man. You're like. Okay. No, no. Cat man, it is. Cat head or cat body? No, cat no. I mean, if, if you got a different relate, if you got a different vibe from somebody, you'd kind of be weird. You'd be like, "What's wrong with dad?" You know, it really is like mm-hmm. if something's off with him. Yeah, um, totally. He's he's you know he's gone soft. Um, yeah. But no, yeah, it's it's that's that's an important thing, and just kind of keep in mind that like you know a lot of people have that framework of like the world is going to be kind of like the way they learned it in the military because that's kind of what they worked for them. That's the foundation. That's their Mm -hmm. archetype for approaching life. That's great when it comes to the sense of urgency, the attention to detail, showing up on time, being motivated, putting the mission first. Like, that's all great. But when it comes to interpersonal relationships, um, you have to to find a way to do it and just realize it's just different and you have to kind of adapt to it and then just use the same effort to get to know everybody's uh, the name of everyone's dog and all this other stuff, and you might think, oh, man, it's kind of vegetarian. It's uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you might think it's kind of yeah. silly, but like mm-hmm. you know, when I go to a new new ICU, I like have a little book, and in addition to like learning their protocols, I like write down something about at least one thing about everybody new that I meet because there's so many people you're interacting with healthcare, and if they just know that oh, you remembered that, man, it takes it changes everything, but. You kind of have to. Well, I feel like in the military, man, you're just in a barracks and you're around each other 24-7. You know everything about everybody. It's not like in the civilian world where you don't, you know. And so you maybe know too much about everybody. Um, Yeah. yeah. I have have a question, but first I have a short story. Um, When I I was filling out uh, some paperwork in, in the team room one day, and one of the new guys on the team, which like, you know, again... He joined Special Forces like a year after me. It's like, you know, hey, new guy, I've been around here. You know, yeah. uh, <laughs> so silly nowadays. But I was doing some paperwork and I was like, hey, man, what's your DOB? And he told me, and it was his birthday that day. Oh, and, wow. I, and, I, and I go, cool. hey, man, someone needs to take out the trash. Yeah. <laughs> and, I was like sitting yeah. at the computer, like I recognized that you know today was his birthday, and then I was just like, yeah, uh, "You gonna take a trash out or what?" And we're like great friends after that, you know. 
No. That would have, no. like, destroyed your relationship with so many people uh, who yeah. aren't like us. No. Yeah. No, I mean, you had to keep yeah. your birthday under wraps, man. Um, you know, we're not like, we're not like, you know, Sweet 16 or some shit. Yeah, there was uh, yeah. really no... Yeah, <laughs> or just no, no one gives a fuck. You're a grown no, man. Yeah, fuck. Like, yeah, you're a grown man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, it was funny. He didn't tell me it was his birthday, but... You know. Yeah. Like, yeah, just no. <laughs> if he was yeah. waiting for me to congratulate him, it wasn't coming. I wanted to ask you, Matt, like, you were... Were were you always in the, a special forces medic, or did you get into the medical side later when you were in the Army, or how that I go? was... Uh, I joined as infantry. Um, I... I went to the recruiter station like a week after 9-11. Uh, it was right when I got my license. I had a great relationship with my recruiter, too. Um, and signed my paperwork at 17, graduated high school uh, at 18, and then um, just went straight to – I was in basic training on Monday. Um, and then, you know, like a year or so into infantry, you know, one of my roommates went and tried out for special forces. So I figured, you know, it sounded cool. I was going to go do that, too. And then – I did that until I separated uh, 12 years total. So the majority in, in uh, you know, SF. But like as a medic, I, I knew I didn't have the itch to keep going on in any kind of medical profession afterwards. So I studied economics and uh, I'm like a numbers guy. And, and um, you know, what I do now uh, kind of touches on that with some other stuff as well. But yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I knew for sure that that wasn't in the future for me. So when, you know, back to like the, the sequential bites out of the apple thing, like I would always think like I have a, I have a buddy who's a brain surgeon and, you know, he'll tell you like he knew exactly what he wanted to do from a very young age and he had his sights set on it. And I was like, man, that kind of conviction to hold, to like hold out that long. No one's going to let you cut into someone's brain without, yeah. you know, basically doing like a 20 year sentence in school hard yeah. time you know yeah. and, uh, he and i was like to be a brain surgeon as a as a kid like a little kid yeah playground. wow yeah. i don't know yeah, I, yeah I don't know if it was like maybe Whoa. some something happened in his life where he maybe thought you know somebody was like a hero or or you know who it's had incredible. done something that he could look up to or whatever actually i think he listens to the podcast so maybe he'll text me afterwards but i just That's always sick. knew that he knew from like a really young age and uh i was like that must kind of be like uh great to have that kind of like conviction because yes. i'm more like drew where i kind of knew stuff that i was interested in but i never really had a path charted mm-hmm. yeah and also i think that a lot of people forget like you know, yeah, he he finished it up and did like the twenty years of training and residency and all that stuff. But there's a lot of people that are in that pipeline that wash out, right? A lot of people forget. There are a lot of people that are like I'm going to be a doctor, but then I left yeah. medical school, or I'm going to be pre med and I left. I go into residency. I want to be a surgeon too hard. I'm just going to be a regular internal medicine doc. And there's a lot of people that take off ramps. Oh, I was going to go to this neurosurgery thing. No, I'm going to. I'm just going to do general surgery fellowship and get into practice. So by the time you get to the end of that crazy pipeline. Everyone's story is a little bit kind of unusual. I mean, they're just just unusual, unusually kind of motivated yeah. people. I mean, it's just. I mean, I look at the heart surgeons I work for too, and yeah, um, they're all very Type A and kind of yeah have. They're like, yeah, anyone want to be a cardiothoracic surgeon? I'm like, that's crazy, wow. man. <laughs> so I, I also <laughs> think that I would be like too <laughs> proud to off like off ramp, as you say. Yeah, and I would like invest way more you know be like kind of a sunk cost type of thing where i'd be too proud to 
like you know settle for less than what my original goal was um so it was easy it was good to like know that it wasn't in that field earlier i think yeah so definitely but uh, and also too it's it's also rough from what i hear with you guys like you know you probably the medical training that you guys get is in, in the sf is the medic is it's pretty advanced stuff i mean way more than you'd get as an emtb and stuff like that in the civilian world and but like my understanding is that at least they don't translate that stuff over to proper civilian certifications it's not like guys get out and are like already you know licensed paramedic and everything else when they probably should be um given like what they're yeah they do i, they do. I don't know but they kind of they like they they prepare you to like go to war or some third world country where there's nothing there and so yeah. like you know you get like the rescue randy where you know he hops onto the scene and the first thing he wants to do is cut a hole in someone's throat so they can breathe and it's like no man just like pick their legs up <laughs> And wait yeah. for the ambulance <laughs> and, like, maybe yeah. give them this oxygen <laughs> tube, you know. Yeah, good uh, point. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And I think another thing, too, is, like, I was super young, you know. I um, yeah. I started the SF Medic course, like, uh, before when I was 20 because I turned 21 in it. I, oh, my wow. 21st birthday, I was working on an Indian reservation as, like, I was working in the... Um, uh, like the maternity ward on an Indian reservation on a rotation during my training. And I turned 21. I was just like sitting in a cabin by myself. Um, or maybe that was 22. I don't know, but it was still just super young. And I would, the things that excited me were, it's like, well, yeah, you're a medic, but like you get to carry like a gun and grenades and all this shit too. So like, yeah. You know, it's good to have yeah. those medical skills in case somebody goes down, but you're going to be fucking shit up with everybody else, with all the boys. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I also it was just, it was assigned to me because, uh, you know, I have high test scores. They're like, you're going to be a medic. I'm like, okay, yeah. great. If that gets me to an SF team, uh, I'll take it on as my duty. But um, it's not something that I completely, like, opted into. Ah, yeah. No, they yeah. really volunteered. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I had no idea. Which Indian reservation? Like, what is out west or uh, up north? Near a casino? What are you talking Yeah, about? I just want to know. I guess I've, I've been reading about Comanches a lot, but now I'm super into this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, that's cool. It's in Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, there's, like, great exchange programs there because everybody works in the, uh, what's it called, like, the IH, IHS, Indian Health System. Are okay. all like um, government employees, and their um, their education subsidized as well. And we have like a good exchange program, so it's like a you know it's like a learning hospital, but um, you know it's like a government run learning hospital. It'd be kind of like you know if you work at the VA as an intern, you might get like a right. little more um, not leniency, but what's the word like a you know a little more scope as a student. yeah like autonomy. Did yeah. you get a, a name? Did you get an Indian name? <laughs> no. Damn it. <laughs> it's, dude, it's just a it's just a hospital for I know, but there's like so much pub, I want it to It's like a be. public hospital for in like a community. No Indian name there this Jesus. Yeah. Go to the reservation, you know, get the name. Yeah. Cool. No, well I got I got yeah. yeah. It's a good experience. No, yeah. I, I got to deliver yeah, a couple of babies. Sick. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's so yeah. cool. 
Damn, dude. No, it's just wild, man. I, I delivered a few my share of babies when I went through school in rotation too, and it just makes you go, "Oh my god, you can't believe that!" Like for thousands of years, people just kind of did this at their house, man. You're like, "Yeah, this is yeah. fucking nuts." Um, Got you to can do see some why dental the dental work. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, wow. I was like, yeah, I'll sit and uh, uh, when I'm like getting my teeth worked on, I'm like, "Yeah, it's on the buckle side," and he's like. What do you mean? Why, why do you know that? And I was like, oh, I went through like one week of dental training and then they let me, you know, fuck around in my classmates mouth a little bit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool shit. And I guess that they would be winning some goodwill because I mean, that's what they always, at least in the, the history channel documentaries back in the day, they would always say these guys would drop into some austere place and then they'd help like a villager's. Uh, kid with their cavities, and then they're like, "All right, I'll tell yeah, you." That's like your, yeah, that's like your yeah, it's like your value yeah. proposition. Um, yeah, and like because you know we, they have civil affairs uh, teams in special. I mean, they're under like special operations, um, civil affairs, and psyops and special forces. And so, you know, it's a great way to you know, as you said, win hearts and minds, and um, you know, go treat people, folks in the village, and sometimes they'll put together an operation that's just centered on that. Right. And it's obviously yeah. contributing to the broader strategy. Um, but, uh, yeah. Like, uh, what? with Colonel Kurtz inoculating arms in uh, <laughs> Vietnam, a yeah. pile of arms. <laughs> yeah. As I dream of a slug crawling on a straight razor, uh, drew one thing that you, uh, talked about, uh, that is pretty interesting. You say you now work in a female-dominated field. And so for a grunt, I know there's like several years in between, but um, how was that transition for you? And then, you know, I guess how much of a shock would it have been if you kind of came straight out into that? Or would you have been ready? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, a lot of it is just the whole thing about like having to build kind of a relationship with people to get somebody to work with you and for you and help you. The other thing too is like for me as well, um, you know, probably a lot of the, the patients as well, you know, there's a certain amount of patients where, you know, they, they see a guy like that looks like Mr. Clean coming in to be their, their nurse. Um, and you know, for some people, this is fine for other people, this might not be what they expected. And just being open-minded that like not everyone's going to see the way things you do. Some people might be made a little bit uncomfortable, but just be really kind of focusing on understanding that like this is not the world you came from. The last thing you want to be is some embittered dude who's like, you know, this is all wrong. This would be so much better if this was like a Marine Corps line company. That's crazy. Um, You know, you need to go and go, listen, I'm in a new chapter in my life. My time in the line company pounding it out was really important because it's taught me a lot of stuff, but now you're in a new place and you got to reprogram, you got to read the room and, um, and you know, and you build these, you can build these really good working relations. Um, and, and they're awesome. I'm always astounded by like seeing a lot of what I thought, you know, maybe looking back that people say with the young grunts that were clearing rooms and, um, doing stuff in Fallujah. I kind of, when I was working in COVID, working in the ICU and watching these like 22, 23 year old nurses, um, you know, weird virus. No one knows what the hell is going on here. We were given one mask for the whole week and they're taking care of these patients, man. And, uh, facing this kind of unknown thing, very, very harrowing. They've got to do a ton of multitasking. Um, they've got to, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's rough work, man. And, um, and so I'm really always just, uh, in awe on a lot of them that they they've really stepped up and we have a good group, but you know, 
the the last thing you need to do is think that you're going to take your old culture and bring it in here and and act that way. Um, you're it's not the way. Um, although nursing's changing, I mean rapidly. I mean, working in the ICU, it's probably 20, 25% male now. So it's not maybe what it was. A lot. Of, I think for a lot of your viewers that are listening to it, they probably think nursing maybe is what they saw as a stereotype. But in the ICU setting, um, in the emergency room setting, it's, um, it's about a quarter, nearly a quarter guys. And surprisingly enough, a lot of guys that are career switchers. I mean, a lot of guys that like did stuff, whether they were in the military, they drove trucks, they did whatever. And they realized that, you know, this was a more stable way to do it. Um, you know, the service behind it, like I said about, you know, kind of being able to develop your skills. And, you know, I've, I've worked on nursing units with, I had a machine gunner from three, three that I was on a unit with for a little while. Um, in my current group, I had a former SF medic, um, who's, who's a PA with me. And so, yeah, I mean, people would be surprised uh, on that too. But yeah, the biggest thing is I think, you know, just realizing that the relationships matter, knowing people's, knowing people's name, knowing people's story, it matters a lot more to them. And as when you were in the grunt where everyone's just like Lance Corporal, whoever, come here, you who, you know, it's different, you know, and you didn't really take offense to that, right? When someone did that. <laughs> so I did once. I, I did. I'm like sure you did. You I'm sure you did. I didn't like it. I, yeah. I got called when I was in, visiting people in the hospital room saying, hey, yeah. you want some water? You want anything? One goes, hey, you who? Yeah. I want some freaking thing. And I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I'd want to go to barbecues with these people. But, right, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? That I understand completely, yeah. <laughs> but it's just different, yes. you know? And, and when I worked in, no, like... best left there, that culture. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It has its place. With what you do now, it would be easy to assume that you've reached kind of like a career steady state, or at least for a while. But you also said that you don't know where you'll be in three to five years. So how do you talk about where you are right now and then where you could possibly go from here? Yeah, so... So where I'm at right now, from a practice perspective, this is probably what the type of stuff that we do is um, uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants in the critical care setting is probably, and I don't know if this actually means much to a lot of people, but it's probably what people traditionally would say is approximate to what a senior medical resident would do or a maybe junior fellow in a critical care specialty does. So, you know, you're doing... Um, everything that a physician would do, but you're doing it under supervision and coordination with a, with an ICU doctor or heart surgeon. And, you know, that scope just rapidly is evolving like every five years. And the reason why is technology is evolving. There's more technology we're using. We're using ultrasounds at the bedside to do all sorts of things we didn't do 10 years ago. And that's new technology and somebody has to do it. And there, there isn't enough doctors in this country to be able to do that. And those, and the doctors you work with are happy um, to train motivated people who are committed to the program in this type of technology. So, you know, if you would ask most people 20 years ago that were in this field, do you think that you'd be doing bedside echocardiograms and, and all of these other things as, uh, you know, a nurse, a nurse practitioner? No, but now we're using it kind of multiple times a shift to like focus care. And this is all stuff that would have typically been done by a cardiologist 20 years ago. So it's evolving and, and particularly the demographic situation in this and just the whole world, but in America for sure, where you have the baby boomer generation, which kind of anchored all these professions all retiring. And then they're turning around and becoming customers, right? They're in their 60s and 70s and the demands on the hospital system are huge. And there really isn't uh, the providers to take care of them, medical training, resident training, doctor training has not, you know, sufficiently increased. And so that huge gap is being filled by 
people who aren't physicians, nurse practitioners and PAs. And the challenge there is, you know, how do you safely provide care that's more complex for more people? And so a lot of it's technology, you know, uh, CT scans and so many other things are able to kind of much more accurately diagnose things and being able to read, interpret and and be able to act on this stuff. It's not stuff you learn in school. You know, this is because it's evolved even since then. And so I think keeping yourself technologically current, staying with docs that, that want to stay current and being able to step two foot in, just say, just because it was traditional, we did something like this 10 years ago. Well, the technology has changed, man. And you got to get with the times and be willing to step in and learn it, man. And so if you're, I think if you, if you're like, you know what, I'm good, I'm not ready for that, then there are places for you. I mean, there's places to get into like, you know, more kind of non-cutting edge clinical medicine as an outpatient or whatnot. But in the setting we're in, it's, I just, I anticipate that it's just going to keep evolving. Uh, because it's, it's already evolved so much, you know, I can envision a situation in which, you know, they'll go to what's called an e, e-consult model in which, you know, a lot of nurse practitioners and PAs that are competent will be providing totally independent care with an, with an ICU doctor who's available by consultation remotely, right? I mean, that, that would never have flown just a few years ago, but this is the kind of thing that I think the demographics and the situation may warrant in the future. And so, um, but being willing to kind of step up to it and is going to be a big challenge, man. And no joke, you've done that e-consult. I'm not joking here with me a lot. Ah, I kid you not. Like there's times I call him and be like, listen, I'm going to explain something to you. And, uh, (laughs) I'll tell you when, when when you got to do actually, that's actually the hidden problem of this job is that I, I constantly have to go and take care of family member stuff. And it's like the hardest Uh, one. Cause I know that, uh, the most stubborn patients of the moment <laughs> yeah and, and we're just, the most we're, non-compliant and dude we're like we're like soviet commissars we're like i want to hear it the way i want to hear it i want it to go my way no i know look at the results again <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right it's crazy well, that's why that's why doctors don't take care of themselves you can't imagine i mean if you're oh, managing your own care it could get real yeah. crazy you have to you have to have an independent person man um <laughs> And it's yeah, a team well, sport, man. I yeah. mean, the, the whole the whole field is so team oriented. Like I said, you got It's not just one piece. So, yeah. They used to tell us that you know you're going to have team members that call you after hours or whatever that want you to come make a house call or uh, you know maybe you know see their wife or something. They're like, do not ever touch someone's kid, <laughs> like another <laughs> soldier's kid. You know, make them go to the clinic. Yeah, I'd love to know this. this I'd love to know the real story that justified that warning. Yeah. Whoa. That's bad. Yeah. Holy hell. No. Chase, Ooh. do you want to be the one to uh, ask the show question? I'll give you the honors. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. I will ask the question, which uh, which I'm very curious to hear what you guys say. So, Drew. If you had never served, where would you be? Is that the question? Yeah. Who are you today if you never served? Oh, that's oh, why I man. knew it. I, I think... fucked it up. I practiced this so much, and this is what always happens. Oh, I'm, that's why it was called me eight for ten chicks. It's hard. All right, sorry. <laughs> if you had never, Drew, if you had never served, <laughs> who would you be? I don't know, man. I mean, we'd both be in this basement living together, playing video games. <laughs> I'm just joking, but seriously. <laughs> still asking mom to make us a sandwich. No, uh, no. But if I, uh, if I, if I'd never served, I mean, I kind of look. <laughs> it would be fun. Uh, but if I'd never served, I mean, I kind of look at it like it. It made me have to face 
hard stuff and live a life that was not skimming the trees, man. I mean, I've, that's, I, I've never lived a life in which I've decided to just do the bare minimum to get along and just focus on what's just fun alone and just say that that's, that's the, the key. It's always, it's put this kind of fire and desire that I want to go and, um, realize that opportunities are time sensitive. Life doesn't last forever. You kind of owe it to yourself to live a hard life that's fulfilling because there's a lot of guys that got left, you know, left back in Iraq and died and, you know, you, you owe it to them. You owe it to them, man. And so I feel like if I didn't have that, it's hard to do it, right? Because it's 17 to 22, man, so long ago. But like if if I didn't have that, I kind of feel like reality would have hit me in the face eventually. I mean, if I would have just lived, I look at the guys that like didn't serve with but didn't go on to college or anything like that, that kind of just hung around town and smoked a lot of weed and stuff. I kind of feel like all those guys eventually had like some kind of come to Jesus moment, man, whether they got like a DUI or something more serious happened or they got fired and eventually they started going, you know, I got to get my stuff together. And so I feel like I had to face a bunch of stuff at that point. So I didn't have to face it, um, face it later, but it's, it's so hard to know because, and like, you know, man, when you start, when you're 17, it's like, I've never known an adult day where I didn't at least somewhat identify myself from, from doing this. This was the first adult decision I ever made. And so, and at the point I only made decisions on like what I was doing the next day. So I, I, I I don't know. I I really don't know. I I probably wouldn't have taken my uncle's advice, you know, because I, because I wouldn't have had that common ground of both being veterans. He was a veteran. And I think for some reason I kind of connected that my uncle had some good advice to go into healthcare. So I probably wouldn't have done that. I probably would have been more hard headed and thought that I had it all figured out myself until I didn't and something bad happened. So I don't know. I think there would have been a lot of different bumps in the road and I'd have hoped that things all would have worked out, but um, I still probably would have been in the basement with my brother at least a couple times a year. Well, let's get this so. straight. If you had never served, <laughs> I would be the only sword and shield of this family. Yeah, he would be. Actually, it's true. So. Yeah, that, that's right. Chase would be like a... Some big shot, and uh, he'd be a, sen- he'd be a l- senator. I would have. Don't put that on me. <laughs> I would have lorded that over you, though. Yeah, I'm right. sure. Um, yeah, like me- it would have been mental torture. You still could have kicked my ass, no matter what I had done. But still, yeah. I would have been like, I am the emperor's blade. Oh my god! And you. Are- <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I am his will. It's I hard to know, justice. man. It's hard to know, but and uh, <laughs> that's such a tough question you got there. Actually, we had you know what, dude. Honestly, honestly, we both had to serve. That's literally the only twin destiny. That's true, and that's true. Yeah, that's right. Because if I, it would have been such an imbalance. It it would have, it would have been fucked up. It would have been horrible. We had yeah. to. There's no yeah, other way around yeah. it. Really, I'm dead serious about it. It just. I think that's how like these. Weird clannish military families are formed, that, well, and they kind of do that. Like well, they're I, like they go, "All right, you're going in, I'm going in." Well, we're, exactly. And we were talking about that. And I was like, "Dude, think about all the guys in your company that had brothers. Wasn't it like the vast Ohio. majority of them, their brothers also either were in or went in later or had something?" It's all, I, I want to say that it, that most of them, even if it took 10, 12 years, yeah. they eventually all they all showed up. Yeah. Youngest, the youngest brothers, all sorts. Of, it's crazy. Yeah, like or Matt, sons. Like you know. Yeah. Did yeah. you have family members that served too, Matt? No, and you know where I grew up, not a lot of people served either. Uh, you know, there. Actually, this is funny because I uh, 
there were three kids from my high school class. There was like 350 kids who graduated. It was 03, so it was, you know, decent time to join the military. There was definitely a need for it. And uh, there were three of us who uh, joined the military, and it was me, and it was a set of fraternal twins. I never thought about that till right now. <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah. something? Wow. That yeah. is curious and weird. Yeah. But, but- there were a couple people who joined like a few years after. Mm-hmm. You know, if they either, you know, like didn't go to college and, you know, worked at the you know, Applebee's or whatever and then joined at like 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was only the three of us. And that, along with like what my guidance counselor says, like, this is a complete fucking waste. And I was like, lady, you know, I don't know. I yeah. would have just chuckled if I could go back in time. Yeah. No, it's not many, man. But uh, but you're right. It's a brother thing. Is is like a lot of people don't realize it. I don't know. That's funny though. I don't. I hope it does. I hope it skips a generation. I don't. I don't necessarily hope for it for my son. Um, at least in the circumstances that I went through. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he'll be a space force guy. <laughs> be sick. Yeah, I can see it. I can see your son colonizing a new world. You know, uh, mostly like for making sure nobody gets stuck in an airlock. Like it'd be cool. That'd yeah, be fine. There you go. That'd be really cool. Maybe that's what it'll be. <laughs> Unless it's alien situation, there's chest bursters and all sorts of shit. There's oh my god! That. So. But um, no, it was just it was the way it had to be, and yeah. it was the way, and it was good. You know, in that I, I really lucked out having you know twin brothers, awesome brother, marine brother, all the above. Anything you have on like your a brother. twin big brother though. Yes, it's like yes, hundred percent. Yeah, it's like a strange dynamic. It is a weird dynamic. But you know, you know, you know something yeah. we didn't talk about too much yeah. was the dynamic of uh, when I got back and you were in two six and I was in one eight, and you were of course like new, right? You were pretty yes. much brand new, and I was a senior guy in, in my company or so called senior. I mean, it's like two years in, and uh, I remember that whole dynamic of like he had such a different time when he was brand new than most guys do. Absolutely. So different because I, I, well, he had he had uh, Steve and a bunch of guys that kind of took him under his wing. And, and like maybe they just recognized that you were more mature, you were more responsible, you were maybe funny too and all this stuff. And they just kind of – you were almost kind of like under their – I don't say protection. is kind of a funny way to put it. But like um, – you weren't like uh, the 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 whole the whole hazing culture and all that kind of stuff just ran a lot deeper in the unit I was in, and so which was you know not the funnest, but at the same time it like really kind of bonded me almost almost completely with just the group that I that I came in with and the group above them. I mean, I didn't you know I we didn't really get we weren't that tight. I mean, at the end after the battle was over, the guys that survived we got tighter with them, but it was only for a few months, and then they left and went you know went elsewhere. Uh, got out of the Marine Corps, but like with Chase, um, you know, you were from like the get go. Well, talking so. to everybody about their experiences <laughs> of jump, dropping into a unit, like it's a yeah. crapshoot, and what, and and I think in the case of mine, if I had to really break it down, it was like we met in the middle. Yeah. I mean, like Steve yeah. and Dave and the guys, the seniors to me, they were not going to tolerate bullshit, and no. so like they no. were like, hey, there's a certain standard, and obviously yeah. an expectation you got to live up to. As far as being the new guy, obviously I wasn't getting run of the roost. I was I was doing all like the boot stuff, but at the same time, like there was no 
unnecessary abuse. Well, the other thing, so the other thing too, we man, were able is, to become buddies. That's true. And the other thing too yeah. is you learn from my mistakes, right? Because you know the yeah. difference was is I talked about my approach to like school, right? Well, I think that you know unlike Chase, I mean Chase had better natural work ethic and stuff. Well, me, it was like yeah, I love the gym, but like I was a typical teenager, right? Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. so for me, I, I learned a lot of stuff the hard way and had to like learn it the hard way um, when I was in the Marine Corps, pretty much early on. And, uh, and so I think, you know, you know, I didn't, I wasn't treated specifically terribly, but I was treated kind of in my place as opposed to chase where they're like, they like really kind of liked you. They kind of brought you into their kind of, it was a different kind of level. And well, like the most that I think anything, I don't know, the farthest I was able to get with my seniors was like, I got to be like the DD a couple of times, you know? And like, hang out in the park and hang out in the prize and like, hang out in the parking lot, like thing. You know what I mean? Like just to to wrestle a guy in the back of the car. Who's going to judge you for keeping him out of trouble. Yeah, exactly. Like that's fight you when you let release him. Exactly. That's about as far as it went, you know? So, uh, but, but you know, with you though, I was actually kind of, I kind of like that too. Cause I, you know, I was worried too. I was like, Oh man, you know, he's going to have to go through all that stuff with the, the hazing, all that kind of thing, and yeah. with, and then you know, going over and meeting Dave and Steve and all those guys uh, before you deployed, I was like, well, he's in good hands, man. He's yeah. in good hands. Those were solid Marines. Those guys in the company he was in were really good. Um, well, yeah, Steve comes so. from a firefighting family, yeah. so you know th- they're all familial, you know. And yeah, yeah. I actually stopped by the uh, firehouse like a week ago um, just to say hey, and uh, you know he's an officer now, and. You know, I don't know how much that had to do with it because I met Steve way after uh, he left the Marines. Um, but, you know, maybe that was a thing where he saw that, you know, you, you could actually build some kind of cohesiveness with people who weren't right in your, like, tier of seniority because that's what you needed to be effective. Yes, and I, I don't want to speak on behalf of Steve, but I know Steve had mentioned that he had um, subpar leadership. He had some dudes that were all into the hazing and the church kind of bullshit. And so I think Steve reformulated a way, a better way of being a leader. And uh, he, if you acted like a Marine and you, you held up those standards, you were good to go. And, and he took care of you and God damn, he took care of you. Like yeah. He was just, he was just, you know, I think to myself, that is a type of human that would be, Blue and naked fighting Romans, <laughs> or, or, uh, or charging—I uh, don't know—like fighting uh, clan wars. I hope the, that's the I, only time you've thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, what kind of drawings I, do you have in your uh, notebook? <laughs> He's gonna find that funny and weird. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I go, God, thank God I had that. Because like I, I always looked at myself as like I'm probably best built to be stuffed into some sort of horrible machine <laughs> of the grim dark future and, and sent into war. But that, these these yeah, I got lucked out that the people my point as fucking weird as I was going was he was he was gonna he was gonna make sure you got out of it, no matter how brutal it got. Yeah. And God. No. Blue, naked, the whole thing. The whole, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, definitely, man. And uh, that that always made me I kind of but at the same time, I was like, shit, man, he's with a good crew, which is awesome, which is what you want. Right. Like in the barracks and stuff. But, yeah, I wasn't thrilled about it when they said he was going to Iraq because I was like, oh, fuck, because I know how it went there. You know, I I had a deployment was four months was pretty chill. And then all of a sudden, the world can change and conflict can break out. And all of a sudden it just is insane and it's the deployment you never ever thought you were going to get into and then it can go back and so i didn't really take much stock into the fact that he was going to fallujah or anywhere i was like you know what 
this is extremely hard to kind of pinpoint how any of this stuff's going to be in seven months. He could go there and it could be just totally chill or it could go there and it's just a total chaos and it can change so quickly. And I, I just was kind of hoping, I was like, man, I know he wouldn't want it because he's young and he, he wants to get in it. But like, I was just hoping he caught it in a lull, you know, but, yeah. but I knew that at some point it was going to come back and, and come back in Fallujah. I just, there was a vibe about that city. It, it um, it was too much of a draw for, for them to not want to start shit again, even though it was only, you know, what, eight months after the assault. Um, the place yeah. was only quiet for like a month when nobody was there, when everything was done. So, yeah, yeah no. and then it started back up. But I did, yeah. I did think that at least the good thing was that Steve was an EMT. So that made up for a lot, you know, as long as, cause he sure. clearly knew what the hell he was doing. And then also, you know, I knew that you guys were on trucks. So, you know, even though like, weapons companies were getting hit really hard because you guys were, it's a very active unit. Um, kind of knew, well, at least, you know, hopefully they can get everyone back to the surgical companies, you know, which, which, you know, sometimes on foot when that would happen for us, when we didn't have any vehicles around, it would just take a long ass time yeah. to get people yeah, out. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. and, uh, so I don't know, yeah. but it's a bad situation to be in regardless. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it covers well, I everything, we, man. I'm gonna yeah, I think this is the longest one we've had so far. What yeah, I'll man. do is, um, um, obviously, I hit the stop button. Boom. Well, stop. Don't it. do that. Yeah, well, let's thank him yeah, for being no, I'm, on. I'm, I'm, yeah, of course. Yeah, sorry. I can add myself. Drew, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us your story and let us peek into your brain. Thank you, brother. It beats staying at home watching Paw Patrol. So. <laughs> Sounds like a... <laughs> Just a raging Saturday. <laughs>